know that in the entire catalog of Rush music, Closer to the Heart is my favorite song. My number one with a bullet, you might say. And what's this, you might be asking? Why does it sound different when Farwell is starting his show? Yes, this is live Farwell. It's not Farwell on Memorex. For those of you old enough to get the reference. No, no, we're back, even though it feels like we're kind of in school with a supply teacher, right? It doesn't feel quite normal yet, but your loyalty will be rewarded. I feel as though you and I are the only ones in on the secret so far. And one of the secrets is what you just heard. As we move into a new year here on the program... We're moving away as as much as it breaks my heart. We're going to move away from our traditional, long-standing, six-year-old theme song of Working Man by Rush. But I couldn't go away from the band completely. So I thought I'd start today with my very favorite Rush song of all time, Closer to the Heart. And I think it's kind of fitting Because one thing that is not going to change, in fact, maybe there will just be a greater emphasis on it. This show comes to you directly, and I do mean directly from my heart. The blood, the sweat, the tears go into this show so that we can have the conversations that matter. And speaking of those conversations that matter, one of the other changes that you're going to notice immediately today is even more opportunity for you to have your say on the show. Maybe you're just in the mood for a conversation about something. That's fine. Maybe there's something stuck in your craw. That's fine too. Because beginning today and then every single day on this show, there will be a full hour of open line opportunity. Get ready for the 12 o'clock talk back. It may not surprise you at all that it will happen every day at 12 o'clock. Between noon and 1, it's the 12 o'clock talk back. Of course, the moment we begin the show, which we just have, the phone lines are open to you at 519-570-2545, star 570, and 1-800-570-5715. We'll have conversations on a variety of subjects. You can weigh in on those conversations, share your thoughts on the issues we talk about, and then every single day from noon until 1, we'll have the 12 o'clock talk back hour. I know what you're thinking. Well, what happens to Rant or Rave? What happens to Free Phones Friday? Well, you know what? They're all getting wrapped up into one consistent thing. This is what the experts told me in that meeting I had before Christmas. They said, Farwell. You need a consistent time that people know they can call into the show. So, yep, phone lines are open the minute we start. But for that time that is dedicated exclusively to your calls, 
noon until 1 every single day with the 12 o'clock talk back. Just one of the changes we're implementing as we move into a new year here on the show. We're about six months away. It was June the 5th, 2017, when we started this show. So we're six and a half years in and finally doing away with the original Working Man theme song. And you'll be hearing different sounds every day here on the show. I hope you enjoy what you hear. And again, I'm very glad that you're here. You're back. You're with us on this very strange week where it just doesn't feel fully normal yet, does it? And that's okay. I hope you had a great holiday. I was intending to describe mine as a holiday filled with walking. And sure enough, my phone tells me that's exactly (laughs) what I have been or had been doing. Because when I have the time, I like to take the time for nice long walks with Rosie the Pandemic Pup. And I was even thinking on one of those walks over the past 9, 10 days that if I could, honest, honest to goodness, I would walk everywhere. Like, unfortunately for me, that would be about a two-hour one-way commute to work. It's about a 9K commute for me from home to work. That would take me about two hours to walk. And sadly, I just don't have time in my life for a four-hour round-trip commute to and from work. But if I could, oh, do I love to be out there walking the city. You experience the city so much differently. And I love the fresh air. The time with the pup is pretty awesome, too. But my phone actually reminded me yesterday or gave me a notification saying that over the past nine days, your step count has increased dramatically or changed, whatever. It notices the change, which I'm not sure I'm okay with. Like, how does... I I know we've got these trackers, these health apps on our phones, and I do monitor my steps, but I don't necessarily ask my phone to tell me when it notices the change. I know what I'm doing. But the fact that the phone is tracking me and monitoring me and then telling me, hey, you've done this that was not normal over the past nine days. I'm like, you think? Because I had the time to do it. One thing I would have loved to have seen was a little bit of the sunshine. I've been watching religiously the weather network and its forecasts, and they even give on their forecast an indication of how many hours of sun we're going to get on any particular day because I've been looking and looking and looking and waiting and waiting and waiting for the ding-dang sun to shine, which it has not done by my estimation since December the 21st. I may may be off on that, but I don't think I am. We're talking 13 days now without a sliver of sunshine in these here parts. I think I'm generally okay with a winter that doesn't really feel like winter. I don't like the cold. I don't like the sleet and the blowing snow. But gosh, I don't mind the sun. Wouldn't be so bad to see a little bit of it. But by my count, today is day 13 consecutive of no sun in our forecast. Even though the Weather Network told me yesterday we were getting six hours of sun. So I don't know what's going on up there. But I know down here, we ain't getting any of that vitamin D. We will talk more about the weather, by the way, on the show today. At 11.30, senior climatologist David Phillips from Environment Canada is going to let us know, like, is it time to sign the death certificate on winters as we've known them? All right, as we begin the show today, and this is something that we will do 
on a daily basis. I want you to know five things that you need to know for this day. Among the things that I think you'll be interested in knowing today, the head of Restaurant Brands International. Yeah, you know the one, right? The company that owns Tim Hortons, Burger King, Popeye's Chicken. Well, the head of RBI, Restaurant Brands International, was the highest paid Canadian CEO last year. $152.8 million. How do you like that? Just for the record, the report that tracks these CEO salaries says that the top 100 CEOs broke records for their compensation last year in being paid an average of $14.9 million. That is 246 times more than the average Canadian worker makes. Makes you feel kind of good and warm and fuzzy, doesn't it? Uh, Number two on things that you need to know for today. Some new laws that are now in effect in Ontario. Daycare safe arrival rules and changes for the tow truck industry. On the child care front, child care operators must now develop a policy outlining how they will closely monitor the arrival of children. On the tow truck side, these are new rules around customer rights, including the right to provide consent to tow a car, where it's going to be towed, and access to the vehicle after the fact. Number three on the list of five things you need to know today. The first baby born in Kitchener this new year. Congratulations to Margaret and Mike Sameta, whose daughter Susanna Catherine Ruth was born on New Year's Day. That was yesterday at 1.14 in the a.m. weighing seven pounds and one ounce. Funny thing about little Kath- or Susanna Catherine is that she was not expected until January the 14th. So surprise, surprise. And an hour and 14 minutes into the new year, Kitchener had its first baby. In Guelph, meantime, wasted no time, did little Milo. Eight minutes after midnight, Milo Oldfield was born to Haley and Stephen Oldfield at Guelph General Hospital. 12.08 yesterday morning. Number four on the five things you need to know for today. Team Canada playing right now at the World Juniors. And yikes, uh, they're trailing Czechia 2-0 in the first period. You lose... You're done, Team Canada, so some work to be done. I'm going to keep an eye on that in the studio, I promise you, and I'll keep you updated on the score as the show goes on today. And number five on the five things you need to know today, some history in hockey yesterday. Alex Carpenter, and she'll take the draw on New York, wins at Shelton with her stick on that, and she gets it! Ella Shelton scores! History is hers! The first goal of the Professional Women's Hockey League, Ella Shelton. Ella Shelton, the pride of Ingersoll, Ontario, playing for New York, who shut out Toronto 4 to nothing in the first game, the inaugural Professional Women's Hockey League game yesterday at a sold-out arena in Toronto. Ella Shelton scores the first goal in Professional Women's Hockey League history. Those are the five things. You need to know for this day, January the 2nd, 2024. Welcome to the program. I'm glad you're here. It's the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570.
9.21, just under 10 minutes away from your update from the City News Center. And then a conversation about those ding-dang unsustainable property tax increases. It has been said by minds far greater than mine that it is the most onerous form of taxation. Love it, lump it. It shows up every year and it's always going in one direction. Up. You can't do nothing about it except continue to pay it. Phone lines open to you, as you know, every day when we begin the show and every day between 12 and 1 with our new 12 o'clock talkback hour. Paul is on the phone with us already this morning, though. Our first caller of 2024 brings a tear to my eye, Paul. Good morning. Good morning. How you doing? Hey, I'm doing all right. How are you doing? Not happy. Why not? Okay, I, I wake up in the morning, and the first thing I do is I turn on the radio, Good. mainly to see if World War Three has started yet. Okay. Unfortunately, it hasn't uh, gone quite that far yet. The uh, at, On the ones, I expect to hear the traffic and uh, weather and that. Uh, come 9 o'clock, 9 o'clock now, it was 10 o'clock uh, a little while ago. Don't worry, focus on 9 o'clock, Paul. Nine, Work with nine, me. O- 9 yeah. o'clock, I expect to hear certain things going on on the radio. And this morning I thought, what happened? I don't like change. I'm old. I'm set in my ways. I don't like change. Are you telling me that you did not like the choice of music to oh, start yeah, the yeah, show actually, today? I, I, I like the music. I just, I had me worried that something, uh, something was wrong when you're playing something different. Listen, you know, I'm almost as old that? as you. And I like, almost I am, and I like change almost as little as you do. But, Paul, we're going to get through this together, and it's going to be fun. You know, the one thing I did enjoy over the last uh, uh, week with uh, all the best of Farwell, I get to sit and listen to intelligent callers calling in. What does that mean exactly? Well, a lot of times I missed part of uh, your response to the... Uh, certain callers when uh, when they call in. I see. One opportunity to hear what you say about me after you hang up on me. <laughs> it's always said with kindness in my heart, my friend. <laughs> I, I know. I just I just want to know what your response was, and by the time I get back to unmute the the radio and that, I miss a little bit. Okay. Well, I'm glad you were able to catch up on that over the holidays. Good on you. Okay, so is this a permanent change on the uh, the music then? Oh my gosh, it is a permanent change on the music. And I'll tell you what else we're going to add. We're going to add an all-request Friday. The guy on the other side of the glass, Devin Robertson, doesn't even know that until this very moment. But you're going to get to make requests, and you're going to get to hear your own favorite songs every Friday. I thought this was talk radio. Exactly. Uh, Don't you love it, Paul? It's like old-school top 40 radio. Jeez, I don't know. Change, change for the benefits is good. Change just for the sake of change. Well, we'll have to see how that goes. All right, we'll see how that you goes. A, you have a great day, and I'll I'll probably be talking to you later on today. I look forward to that, Paul. The twelve o'clock talk back hour, an opportunity for you to call in and have a conversation. Maybe that's the void we're filling between twelve and one every day. Just the void of conversation in your day, because. Instead of just listening, you can participate. Or maybe you've got something you need to get off your chest. Every day from 12 till 1 with the 12 o'clock talk back, you're going to get the chance to do that. George, good morning. 
Good morning, Mike. I want to wish you a happy new year. Same to you, sir. And might I add, it was wonderful to have our annual opportunity to (laughs) run into each other at the hockey game, you and your lovely family. It was great to see you over the holidays. I know you're always busy. You're on the run. We didn't try to keep you too long. And my kids just love meeting you every year. So thank you again for that. My pleasure. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, George. Have a great day and a very happy new year to you as well. I think I'm going to say that. How long? Can we say it for the month? Anyway, we'll, we'll be saying it at least this week and maybe a little bit of next week. Because as I said at the beginning of the show today, I feel like you're the one getting let in on the little secret here because it's not quite yet a normal work week, is it? Everything really revolves around the school calendar. I remember this from my days of commuting through the worst of Toronto traffic. But in the summertime, July and August, and over the Christmas break, when the rest of us stiffs were doing our regular jobs, but schools were out, it was incredible the difference it made in traffic patterns, just showing how much of our traffic is actually generated by the educational system. I'm not saying that as a slam. I'm just saying that as an observation from somebody who has driven through all of it. And so now that we're in this kind of week where the kids aren't yet back in school, not everybody is back to the normal work week. So you are being rewarded for your loyalty today, getting the the first glimpse into some changes that are happening on the show. And if you hear me mention those changes again and again through next week, it's because some of our friends won't be with us until then when they get back into their usual habits. Not to mention, as my friend Craig has already pointed out today via email to Mike at 570news.com, you're only going to have two listeners today, not 40, because everybody's paying attention to the hockey game. Canada trails 2 nothing. After one, I'll keep you up to date on that too. So you can keep an ear on the radio, maybe an eye on the telly if that's your thing. An update from the City News Center is coming your way. And then let's have a conversation about property taxes. Uh, Don't cringe, don't wince. I get it. I feel them too. I feel you in this regard. And so does a local group that has united to fight against what it calls unsustainable property tax increases. We'll have that conversation next on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570. I know, I know, I know. Paul is probably not the only one that shudders at the idea of any kind of change. Trust me, it's not the easiest thing for me either. But I'm kind of excited about it because it recharges my batteries a bit, gives me a new challenge. But really, the changes that you're going to hear on this show beginning today and moving forward through 2024 and beyond, God willing, I'm here for another six and a half years at least. But they're really just cosmetic with some sounds that are going to be a little bit different, more opportunities and consistent opportunities for you to weigh in and have your say on this program, because after all, it is a shared experience every day. But one thing that's not going to change is the content that we bring to you with a heavy emphasis on what's going on locally so that you can remain apprised of the issues that matter 
in this community. And so it came across my radar over the holidays that there is a new group known as the Property Taxpayers Alliance that has come together to fight what it calls unsustainable property tax increases. John Waylett is the chair and CEO of the Property Taxpayers Alliance and joins us for a conversation. John, good morning. Good morning, Mike. How are you? I'm doing very well, thank you, sir. How are you? I'm, I'm doing well as well. I'm uh, looking forward to our discussion today. Lots to talk about. There certainly is. And I'd like to begin, if we could, John, with the Property Taxpayers Alliance itself. Who or what are you made up of and how did this come together? Well, um, we are made up of uh, four individuals on the management team at this point. We have a board of directors uh, of three people. How we came together, um, the idea of the Property Taxpayers Alliance emerged out of a discussion between friends, you know, frustrated about rapidly increasing property taxes. Um, You know, Cambridge property taxes, once rising at around the inflation rate, have now grown to uh, twice the inflation rate. And uh, coming in 2024, they will rise by about three times the inflation rate. And the question is, whose income is rising like that? This upward trend and above inflation rate. Property taxation is simply not sustainable with property taxpayer income only growing at or below the inflation rate. So so something had to be done to get property tax increases back down to sustainable levels with our ability to pay. And we, we said enough is enough when we started the Property Taxpayers Alliance. Uh, one of the things that I admire about the work that you've been doing, aside from coming together, as you've just explained, John, is that you have been participating very actively in local council meetings. I've seen you and and others appearing as delegations at regional council and elsewhere. So you really are trying to put some action here behind just words. We are, uh, Mike. We, you know, our our mission is to advocate for the efficient and effective use of your hard-earned property tax dollars. And our goal is to get property tax increases back in line with ability to pay. You know, and, and we are advocating on behalf of all the region's property taxpayers, not not just those in Cambridge where we are based. Um, and we have a website, Mike, that's available for people to go to um, if they want to sign up for our monthly newsletter. And we also have a Facebook group page called Property Taxpayers Alliance. So we, we are trying to operate on many fronts and uh, to get visibility and to provide feedback to uh, the regional government and municipal governments on our concerns. And let me make it very clear, we're not against the regional or municipal government or people uh, working uh, in those areas, but we are just extremely concerned that the message needs to get across property tax increases beyond inflation exceed the increases in incomes of people each year that are paying those taxes, then in the limit, it's unsustainable, and people are being hurt today. Not they're going to be hurt tomorrow, they're being hurt today. And John, that is a theme that I have heard quite a bit about on this show, certainly over the six and a half years since I first started hosting it, and even more recently, because the cost of living has increased so dramatically. So I understand completely where you're coming from, and I think many of our listeners today feel similarly when they hear about increases of six, seven, eight percent, sometimes even beyond. The question, though, I would pose to you is, what is the alternative here? It's it's great to say keeping these increases at or below inflation, but then what kind of community do we have? What kinds of services are being provided to us? Well, very good question. And 
we've looked at that, and, and some of the areas are require tough decisions. Um, at the end of the day, uh, to fund the programs that are being offered by the government uh, at the regional level and municipal level um, requires income, and uh, the income is, is, is going to come from those who are property taxpayers primarily, especially for the operation, operational costs of, of the government. When I say government, I mean the municipal and regional level. Um, so if we look at some examples, the, the city, one of the areas that's, that's costing taxpayers a lot are, are city project cost overruns. They drive up property taxes. And, and when they happen, um, I don't think there's enough scrutiny and, and analysis done of why it happened and coming up with fixes so it doesn't happen again. These project cost overruns happen over and over and over, and, and they're just foisted out of the back to the property taxpayer. Like we had the, pro- <clears throat> the Preston Arena, excuse me, uh, construction originally was $29.2 million. The project was expected to be completed in 25, and, uh, and, and suddenly there's a $4.2 million um, additional cost that was approved by council. And where did that cost come from? Why we, did we make that mistake? Why did it happen? Well, it, it just was foisted on the back of the, of the taxpayers. And same thing with the Riverside Dam. We've seen that happen there. It's just foisted on the back. It was put off, put off. Five years ago, it was approved at a $6.2 million cost. In 21, the price had risen to $15.2 million due to required add-ons. Fair enough. Now the cost has risen to $19.3 million. The project will start in 26. And the cost to property taxes will be an additional 1.41% annually for 15 years starting in 2026. If we'd done this earlier, we would have saved at least 4 or $5 million in cost to the taxpayer. So it's, it's, it's how much attention is being paid to these cost overruns. Where is the accountability? One of the other problems that you and the Taxpayers Alliance have identified, John, is with the municipal price index. What is the municipal price index and why does it pose a problem? Well, Mike, it did pose a problem, but I have since been told that they have moved away from that. But during, from the period 2013 to 2018, I did a very detailed study of Cambridge wages, property taxes, and benefits, uh, and use StatsCan information and the budgets from the departments of Cambridge to do that analysis. And during that period, they were using the municipal price index. And at that time, I said, this is a very dangerous precedent because, of course, in the municipal price index, it includes the wages and benefits of the employees. And so they're comparing their earnings, their wages, their benefits with other municipalities. And this is sort of drifting apart from the reality of the property taxpayers living with the consumer price index and the reality of those working in the regional municipal government working with the municipal price index. I mean, there's a significant gap, as we all know, in wages and benefits between private and public sector employees, and this only serves to exacerbate it. I'm very pleased to hear uh, from an ex-counselor, I was told that just recently they stopped using the municipal price index. I think that's a step in the right direction. Based on that analysis, though, John, and this is something that comes up often in conversations such as the one we're having today, and that is around just the general and sheer size of government, the number of people employed. Would you like to see a reduction? I look at that and I I ask myself, how would we move forward with saving costs? 
um, reducing costs and saving the property tax payer, um, getting property tax uh, taxes down to the inflation level or lower, which is which is what our incomes are rising like. Um, I want to provide a, a little bit of information that I did a comparison um, between the region of Waterloo, the Halton region, the Peel region, and York region. Um, I looked at their financial information returns that have to go in each year to the, uh, the region, to the provincial government, and I found that the um, surprisingly that the the, the the regional government of Waterloo has approximately 25% more employees for every 10,000 residents than the regions of Peel, York, and Halton, and which all have almost identical numbers of employees per 10,000 residents. Additionally, the Waterloo region has the highest average benefits for employee at 34%. Having 25% more employees is costing the region's property taxpayers about $100 million every year, based on a fully loaded $100,000 compensation. So the, the region desperately needs to take a look at cutting costs, reducing its size, and getting in line with the, the other regions to help the property taxpayers uh, relieve the burden on the property taxpayers. So yes, I'm 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 in support of cost reduction, uh, efficiencies, and effectiveness in increases in those areas. Do you feel, John, based on the conversations you've been having, the presentations that you've made at councils. I know you'll be at Cambridge Council in February to delegate there. Can you affect change? Can the Property Taxpayers Alliance affect change in this regard? I think, Mike, the Property Taxpayers Alliance, let me just mention that on the QT, I've had a number of councillors talk to me um, and, and give me an indication of support. They understand where I'm coming from and they agree that costs need to be get under um they need to get the costs under control. Uh, they need to reduce some of the pie-in-sky uh, visions that they have and, and get back to reality and, and, and look at what the property taxpayers are living with and what they're facing. So, Ken, in answer to your question, I think the Property Taxpayers Alliance will be as effective um, as the number of people that join it to support us so that our voice gets very loud. And if people don't join, then they're basically saying they're okay with the status quo. We're looking for support. We can't do it by ourselves. So we're looking for people to go to our website, propertytaxpayer.ca, join us, let their voice be heard if they have concerns similar to ours. Do you think, John, that municipalities have kind of become the whipping posts for upper levels of government who have downloaded costs onto cities? I... I do feel that there is, has been some downloading. It was like originally, um, uh, I guess, uh, homelessness and, and housing was a, a federal responsibility, and then it got transferred to the provinces. And then the provinces tra- transferred that down to the municipalities, and then the municipalities loaded the cost uh, of that service onto the property taxpayers. Um, I think, in a way, Mike, it's it's... No, the federal government doesn't want to raise taxes. It's not popular. The provincial government doesn't want to raise taxes. It's not popular, not vote-getting. So the way in which they, they increase taxes to cover costs is they'll only get under the municipalities. And Doug Craig and I have had this discussion, and I agree with him, that uh, the province needs to take on more financial responsibility for some for um, homelessness, for example, in the region, not having it downloaded to the municipalities who are forced to put it on the back to the taxpayers. 
So, yes, I agree with that, uh, that the province needs to take more responsibility uh, for costs that have been downloaded onto the property taxpayers. Can you remind me again, please, one more time, the, the website that people can go to to join the alliance, sign up for that newsletter, et cetera? Uh, it, it's, it's www.propertytaxpayer.ca. Just simple, propertytaxpayer.ca. Propertytaxpayer.ca. John, I admire the work that you're doing, and I really appreciate the time you've given me on the show today. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me, Mike. John Waylett is the chair and CEO of the Property Taxpayers Alliance. Newly formed, has been, because I geek out on this stuff. I watch these council meetings. I'm interested in what's going on, and I like to convey that information to you through this show. I've seen John and his colleagues appearing at councils already through budget deliberations. I know they're planning to delegate at Cambridge Council in about a month's time, You can learn more. You can become a member of the Alliance and sign up for that newsletter at propertytaxpayer.ca. Look, it's an ongoing conversation, right? I, I think if I were to be able to go back over six and a half years on this talk show and probably all of the talk shows on this radio station before that, you know, with Jeff and with Gary and with all of the others, we would be having these conversations on a pretty regular basis, dare I say annually around budget time, right? But strictly by the numbers, I am very sympathetic to the position that John and the Property Taxpayers Alliance are bringing forward here because we recognize that when we're talking about increases of 5 and 6 and 7 and 8 and 9%, Those go well above. Like, I don't know about you, but I'll be honest and tell you that I have never, never have I ever seen an annual increase like that on my salary at this job or any other. So when it's described as an unsustainable increase, like I said, I'm I'm sympathetic to that because it's true. Most of us get that annual 2% cost of living allowance every year. So if you're getting 2% more in wages, but you're paying 5 or 6 or 7 or 8% more in property taxes, in real dollars, you have less one year after another. And I am even more sympathetic to the argument today than I might have been even five years ago because I know people personally who have left this community because they say they can't afford to be here anymore. That's how expensive it has gotten. So they've cashed in their chips, so to speak, and moved to a community where they could get a lower cost of housing and a lower cost of living. And that's just the reality for some today. So that makes me even more sympathetic to the argument. One of the other things that I'll just touch on that John and his group, the Property Taxpayers Alliance, have noted, and and that comes down to the number of municipal employees that we have here in the region of Waterloo. And according to the Property Taxpayer Alliance's analysis, in Waterloo region, the number of staff is 25% higher than in comparable regions like Peel, York, and Halton. Just our regional government, not the seven municipalities 
the three cities and four townships beneath it, but the regional government is one of the top five employers by number of employees in this entire region. And I get it. There's a lot of work to be done, but I'm not sure I'm comfortable with that equation. And I've said this at other levels of government as well. You'll remember famously Tim Hudak when he was the head of the Ontario Conservative Party and the idea that 100,000 civil servants were going to be fired basically led to his demise and did not get elected. Federally, we have seen the federal government payroll balloon year over year over year, even while third-party consultants get paid more. It's, it's an equation that makes no sense to me whatsoever. But I get that governments should need to employ people. I'm not sure governments need to, at any level, need to employ as many people as they do employ, especially when you consider the wages paid in the public sector typically higher and consistently higher than in the private sector. I would argue that that is also an unsustainable model. That's the view from where I'm sitting today, but I'm always happy to hear the view from where you're at and and how you are digesting what you've just heard. Unsustainable, probably not an unfair word when it comes to these increases that we've been facing. How are you dealing with it? How do you feel about what the Property Taxpayers Alliance is putting forward? Always love to hear from you on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570. Inflation exceed the increases in incomes of people each year that are paying those taxes, then in the limit, it's unsustainable and people are being hurt today. Not they're going to be hurt tomorrow, they're being hurt today. John Waylett is the president and CEO of the Property Taxpayers Alliance. Joins us to talk about his group banding together to fight what he calls, and you heard in that clip, unsustainable property tax increases. Thank you to one of our local councillors listening today who points out to me, and rightly so, one of the differences regarding regional staff sizes is because Halton and Peel regions do not operate transit systems. Waterloo region does. Therefore, we have more staff. I wonder if there's a way then we can offload the operation of the transit system, if such a thing were possible. I mean, if they're doing it in Halton and Peel, I wonder what that would look like. But thank you for that clarification. Let's go to the phones. Kathy, good morning. Good morning. Well, I'm one of the former Waterloo Regional residents that left for several reasons. And property tax increases, I've been watching those for more than 10 years for the way it was going up and up and up. It was becoming ridiculous for what you didn't get for the money you were spending. Um, However, with that being said, I'm glad to see that there are some people coming forward and trying to make some changes. Uh, You need a lot of people to join that alliance and and start screaming before you get any changes done. They tend to be a little bit on the deaf-eared side on things like this. Remind me again, Kathy, you went to Tavistock, is that right? No, I'm in Oxford County. Oxford County, sorry. And with that being said, the high taxes are catching. Oxford County, which is equivalent to water regional government, Tax increase for this year, 16.7%. Come on now. Yep. And then we're looking for the township, which is equivalent to city taxes. They have not decided what the budget is going to be. So I'm sure property taxes out in this part of the world will be well over 20%. I will say, in all fairness, they have been a little bit on the low side. But on the other hand, we're an agricultural community. 
We don't have a big population. We don't have a lot of choices on things that we do. Um, so, like, what do I get? They plow the snow, they salt the road, they cut the shoulders along the road, put gravel on the edge of the road, maintain the, the pavement. Uh, that's about all I get, because if you're out in the country, you're, you're responsible for your own sewer and your own water. All right, Kathy, I'm sorry I cut you. I got to run and get to a news update, but thank you for sharing that. And listen, Kathy's not the only person who has left the region for less expensive housing and cost of living elsewhere. It, it, and, but that was 16%. It's getting expensive everywhere. Okay, I uh, got to get you to an update from the City News Center. Then, if you didn't know, Canada has nuclear waste, right? And, and the plan is to, to bury it. But where it's going to be buried, well, that's the interesting thing. The, the place for the burial is to be selected this year, and it might just be a place that you know really well. We'll tell you the story coming up on the Mike Farwell Show, City News 570. I know you know that we have nuclear power in this country. And what you may not know is that once the nuclear power is spent, the waste needs to be disposed of somehow, and it will not forever live on site at the nuclear facility, like Bruce, for example. Instead, what Canada's plan is to do is bury the nuclear waste deep underground in what's called a geological repository. Now, here's the thing and the reason that we talk about this today. It's going to be later this year that Canada makes the decision or the Nuclear Waste Management Organization makes the decision as to where that repository deep underground is going to be located. And you see, the thing is, many of you, I suspect, will know the area, at least one of the areas where it is proposed to bury this nuclear waste. One is in the further reaches of northwestern Ontario. The other that you likely know better because you've probably seen the signs when you're traveling to what we call cottage country in these here parts up through Bruce and Gray counties. But that is one of the other areas, the Saugeen Ojibwe Nation, South Bruce area. And so it is there where we find Michelle Stein, whose family owns a farm in the Bruce And Michelle is one of the original members of the group known as Protect Our Waterways. Michelle, Happy New Year and good morning. Good morning. Happy New Year to you. What was it that first got you involved with Protect Our Waterways? Well, I was first motivated to help create the nonprofit organization in January 2020. Um, It quickly became apparent that the NWMO was in our community and their purpose was to convince the community to build a DGR. Um, My first experience with them was I attended a workshop, and at that workshop, they claimed that nobody knew if or where a proposed site would be. Um, The next morning, it was in the news that the NWMO had secured 1,300 acres of farmland, and that included farms, properties on both sides of our farm. So we went into the office and thought, we better get some more answers. 
And we had some questions, and they couldn't give us any answers to the questions we were asking about, you know, water concerns. Um, the one thing they did tell us was there's the 63-acre waste rock pile. We wouldn't have to worry about it. It would be on the other end of the eighth concession, far away from our farm. Meanwhile, our neighbors up the road who live on that end of the eighth were being told that they didn't need to worry about it because it was going to be beside my farm. <laughs> so then we attended a, uh, a public meeting, and I stood up to ask some questions, and I was literally told to sit down and be quiet because I had not sent the questions in ahead of time, and they adjourned the meeting. So we started talking to other people, and we learned things like the NWO claims about a there was a radioactive accident in a low intermediate level repository down in New Mexico, which is one in the middle of the desert. And they were talking about how great it was that all the radiation was kept below ground. So this is why we needed one. It turns out that if you read the official U.S. government accident reports, workers above ground were exposed to radiation. So that was when we realized that if they're not telling us the complete truth about these things, what else aren't they telling us the complete truth about? So that's how Protector Waterways was um, first started. We started looking into the reports and sharing the information that the NWO didn't talk about. We started asking the real questions, um, and we worked to get community members a vote. So at this time, we do get a vote. Um, what we're working towards now, though, is it's really important that we get a paper ballot. Um, that's the only way that it could be verified and guaranteed to be tamper-proof. Um, community or computer security experts are warning that online, online voting is not tamper-proof. It's not private. IP addresses can be traced. So the only way to confirm that every resident is marking their own ballot in complete privacy is a paper ballot. So that's one of the things that we're working on now. And we're continuing to ask the questions and unfortunately we're not getting very many answers from the NWMO. So I wonder to that end, Michelle, if <laughs> what you'll be able to say about this next question, but I am curious about these DGRs, these deep geological repositories, which is what Canada is proposing as its solution for nuclear waste. What do you, what do you know about them and, and how safe they are? Well, for example, the NWMO tells us, you know, we don't need to worry about groundwater. Yet, when we read the NWMO reports, we read things like when the containers eventually fail due to groundwater ingress into the repository, contaminants will enter the biosphere. We read about um, the dewatering pumps to keep the mines um, from having water in them. So, like, we're asking them questions like, Where's that water going? What's going to be in that water? How are you going to keep that water um, from damaging our aquifers? And we're not getting answers. And they keep pointing to our community saying we have this great undisturbed rock and the water hasn't moved for millions of years. But the very act of building this repository, you know, you're drilling, you're blasting, you're digging, you've disturbed the rock. And yet they you know, tried to tell us that groundwater isn't going to be an issue. But again, when you read the reports, there's multiple mentions of groundwater and the problems that it can create. How worried are you 
and other members of Protect Our Waterways as we enter 2024, knowing that the decision, the site selection looms later this year? Um, I, I can't say, like on a personal level, I can't say I'm worried. I, we're actually looking forward to it. Um, we're really looking forward and hoping that we can have a paper ballot in the fall of 2024. Um, for the past four years, um, we've dedicated so much time to keeping up to date with all the latest information, making sure that we can share the entire truth, not just the positive parts that the NWO mails out. Um, we're taking the time to read the reports and, you know, they send out a little brief blurb of the things they want you to read about. We're the people who are reading the entire report and letting people know that they forgot to tell you about this part that's in the report. Um, but it's time for a decision to be made because for four years, everything's been up in the air. And as a farming family, we've worked hard to build something here to pass on to our children. But if the DGR comes, that becomes meaningless. Um, processors have told us they won't purchase our lambs if they're um, grown by a DGR. Um, we milk sheep, and our milk processor has told us they don't know if they'll continue to take our milk. So the past four years, we haven't been able to make any real long-term decisions on our farm, and that's, that's a terrible way to run a business when you can't plan for the future. But it doesn't make sense to invest in a property with an end date. And the NWO claims they have a property value protection plan if the project goes through, but it's actually an insult to the people living um, close to the DGR. Um, it, it really feels like those of us near this area are just considered a sacrifice zone. And if this project gets approved, really the only fair way is to give everybody replacement value. Um, like, for example, we, we would need a place where we can continue farming with access to the same type of market and compensation for a custom home business that we've been building for 30 years. And some of our neighbors, their family farms have been in their family since the crown deed. And for many farm families, their farm is a part of who they are. And the NWO doesn't understand how deep those roots run. And I don't know how you would put a price tag on that. And like we've talked to many people who they've chosen this community because this is where they wanted to raise their kids or retire because they wanted small town life surrounded by nature's beauty. They don't want the hustle, bustle, noise, traffic, and temporary work camps that go with a project this large. So for four years, we've kind of been trapped in a wait-and-see situation. So on a personal level, I'm really looking forward to what I hope is a paper ballot um, referendum in the fall. And as Protect Our Waterways, we're going to be working towards that. And we're going to continue to share, you know, the information and ask the questions about um, what happens to the mine dewatering pumps when the project gets to the abandonment stage? And what about the radon from the waste piles? What about the salt in the waste rock? How will they keep rainwater runoff and contaminated water from the Teeswater River, the Greenock Swamp, and ultimately the Great Lakes? Is there going to be a buffer zone? How big will it be? Um, what type of high-level waste is ultimately going to be a part of this DGR if the government approves the small modular reactors? And how will they monitor for leaks? And these are all questions that we still don't have answers for. 
If it does come to that paper ballot referendum in the fall, Michelle, do you believe that residents of South Bruce would vote against having the DGR in their community? I would hope so. Um, it's it's hard to know. It's really become a topic in our community that people don't want to talk about um, because it's created a lot of you know division amongst families and friends. Um, so, but at least then we know that it's what the community has decided and then people can, you know, make a decision, you know, on how they want to go forward on their future. And we need people to come out and vote. If we don't have at least 50% of residents voting in that referendum, then it's not considered binding. And then our local council will be the ones who ultimately make that decision. If it should come to pass, that the DGR does end up in South Bruce, what does that mean for you and your family farm? We wouldn't stay. So I would hope that the Nuclear Waste Management Plan organization would compensate those of us who, um, from deep within the bottom of our souls, believe this is a bad idea, not only for us, but also for the community, the environment, um, but I re- truly hope that they will treat us fairly. Um, I'm not sure um, how they will treat us, but um, the reality is they paid over market value um, and premium prices for the people who originally signed up to sell. Um, and I, I truly believe that they should be giving people replacement value so that they can move on and you know start their lives somewhere else. Michelle, I appreciate the time you've made for the show today, uh, and and good luck moving forward. It's it's a really big year for our friends in South Bruce for sure. Thanks for making time for the show. It is. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank right. you for letting us share our story. Yeah, I'm happy to do so. Uh, let's stay in touch as well. Sounds good. Thank Thanks, you very much. Thanks, Michelle. Bye bye. Yep. Bye bye. Michelle Stein is one of the founding members of Protect Our Waterways. It's a group that's come together over the last number of years in response to a plan to possibly bury Canada's nuclear waste in that community. South Bruce is one. The other is up in the Ignace area in northwestern Ontario. It's interesting because northwestern Ontario about 25 years ago now, was where I made my home, albeit briefly, when I worked in Thunder Bay. So I got to know a little bit more about communities like Ignace and Dryden and others up in northwestern Ontario. And in case you were unaware or have never been, it's like a whole separate part of the province. Like It, it continues to amaze and astound me how massive this province is. In fact, I had a buddy share on Facebook I saw over the holidays. He was taking his daughter out west to start school and they decided to, or he said start a next chapter in her life. Maybe she's got a job. Either way, um, they decided to drive. And and so he, he chronicled his drive from the Toronto area out to Edmonton. And I, I just, I could relate to every bit of it having done that drive myself and having worked for a time in Thunder Bay. So Northwestern Ontario is one of the possible sites for this DGR, this Deep Geological Repository. The other possible site is in South Bruce, and I I hold a special place in my heart for what we colloquially refer to as the Bruce, because our family, for the longest time, for 
decades had a cottage in Port Elgin. It's still a place that we enjoy visiting on a regular basis in the summer months. And I've come to learn through my time on this show and through getting to know you in this community that uh, the Farwells certainly aren't alone in their affection for Bruce County and cottaging up along the shores of Lake Huron in so many different areas. So you probably, like me, on your summer trips into Bruce County or maybe just out for nice drives at times, have seen the signs in South Bruce saying no to the nuclear waste. I'd be on pins and needles, frankly. And so you get the perspective from Michelle as she explains to us today what Protect Our Waterways is all about, the questions it's been trying to get answered. And, you know, I just find the whole idea of burying millions of bundles of used nuclear fuel. I I just, I find this whole idea utterly fascinating. And I will confess to knowing very little about it. Maybe you know some more, or maybe you've got a perspective on how you would feel if the deep geological repository, the DGR, was going to be built next to your family farm. Is this something that we should be concerned about? What the heck are we going to do with this stuff anyway? It's a 175-year-long plan in the country, and those involved say, if we don't get it right this year, it's a setback for the entire nuclear industry and for the country as a whole. It's a big year in this province when it comes to where this repository will be located. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. I would hope that the Nuclear Waste Management Organization would compensate those of us who, from deep within the bottom of our souls, believe this is a bad idea, not only for us, but also for the community, the environment. But I truly hope that they will treat us fairly, and I truly believe that they should be giving people replacement value so that they can move on and start their lives somewhere else. Michelle Stein is one of the inaugural members of Protect Our Waterways. She lives in South Bruce Township, and that is one of the areas that could be home in the not-too-distant future to a nuclear waste deep geological repository, a DGR. Northwestern Ontario is the other site that's being considered, but the decision looms by the end of this year, and as you can hear in that clip, Michelle and others in South Bruce are not at all thrilled with the prospect of having this deep geological repository next to their homes. 519-570-2545, star 570, 1-800-570-5715. Let's go to the phones. John, good morning. Good morning. It's actually Sean, but close enough. Oh, <laughs> sorry, Sean. I have I have John here, but we'll go. What do you? Who do you want to be today? You want to be Sean? I shall be Sean. You yeah. shall be Sean, and Sean, you shall be. Get my Irish, Sean. Yeah. <laughs> now, um, knowing people's feelings about nuclear waste, I am actually sort of bemused they would actually pick anywhere in southern Ontario, considering we have this huge area to the north of us. But um, that being said, the the time scales of the deposition of nuclear waste is stunning. I mean, like, we're not, like, we're talking 100,000 years plus before the radiation decays. Now, uh, you need a geologically uh, stable area. Like, we're talking on the scale of millions of years. Now, 
the Canadian Shield is the North American craton, and it's geologically stable, and we have mines that go down very deep. Now, that's an ideal place to store nuclear waste, so I'm not even sure why they would be considering uh, you know, a populated area to the south, quite honestly. To me, it's like a no-brainer. You've got abandoned mines that go down below the water table. Why not store it up there, quite honestly? Yeah, John, uh, Sean, sorry, <laughs> I was just reading my screen again. Uh, appreciate the call and the thought. It, it does strike me as curious as well that you would go to a more populated area in the south, but isn't that the typical NIMBY argument, right? Just put it out there where we don't have to see it and worry about it. Again, I'll just come back to this whole idea of how fascinating I think it is that we intend on burying this waste. And, and to Sean's point, I mean, we're talking centuries down the road, hundreds of thousands of years in Sean's estimation, uh, before it becomes any sort of an issue. We'll take a break. We'll get you an update from the City News Centre. And then the story of a Kitchener man who needs a kidney. Is there a living donor out there for him? And what does it mean to be a living donor? We'll share the story next on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570. Quick update, because I promised to keep you abreast of the score in Sweden, where Team Canada is facing Team Czechia. Canada trailed 2-0 in the first period. It is now 2-2 in the third, just under 13 minutes to play. A big one over at the World Juniors, and Team Canada is right in this one. We'll keep you updated on the score as this show goes on, and so too, of course, the game goes on. This next story, I'm really happy we get the chance to share with you because it comes courtesy of a friend of mine who sent me a message not long before the Christmas break. And he simply said, Mike, a friend of mine is in need of a kidney. Can you help him get the word out? Obviously, not just for him, but for anyone who might be waiting for a donor. And these are the kinds of stories I love to share because we really do have the power to make a difference here. The solution is is within us, quite literally, in the case when it comes to organ donation. So, very pleased to introduce to you this morning, Mr. Tom Kret, who joins the program. Tom, good morning. Yeah, good morning, Mike. How are you today? I'm doing all right, thank you. But more importantly, how are you? I'm, uh, I'm okay. I'm uh, hanging in there. Good. I'm glad to yeah. hear that. Uh, what is it that has led you to this point where you are in need of a kidney? Well, I have a kidney disease called polycystic kidney disease, and it's, I've genetically inherited it from my father. Um, so my father, he, had a, he was on dialysis, and uh, he did have a kidney transplant himself from a deceased donor, and he lived for 13 years. So this is something that I've known throughout um, my life. I've probably known for about 30 years or so. And slowly over time, what happens is, is this grow in and on my kidney and now my kidneys have become so enlarged with these cysts that over time my kidney function has uh, decreased and over this past year or so it's really accelerated to the point where I'm borderline of either needing uh, a kidney transplant or dialysis to survive. 
And and by the sounds of things, Tom, because you described this as something that your father suffered from, this is genetic. So I, I would assume this is inevitable for you. You knew that this time was coming. Yes, exactly, right? So with this disease, uh, when I was first diagnosed, I was, you know, like, I would kind of follow the same timeline as my father. I'm 52 years old. He started needing dialysis when he was 56. So, you know, I am still a few years away from being 56 years old. However, it has gotten to that point now where, you know, we need to, we need to intervene and look at, you know, either a transplant or dialysis just for me in order to survive. And and considering that you knew this, the inevitability of it, have you been on some sort of waiting list? Like, can you share that part of the process with us? So I, I did find this process a little bit confusing. So I'm technically not on a waiting list because I'm not on dialysis yet. So currently, my kidney function is at 14%. That was on December 1st. You need dialysis when you're roughly between six and nine percent. So I'm on that cusp of needing, like needing intervention. But currently, like as of today, I don't need dialysis, right, in order to survive. So once you so reach what, the stage of needing dialysis, that's when the 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 quest for a donor would kick in. Is that how it works? Yeah. So you would then go on a deceased donor list, and that wait list can be up to three to five years. So as a treatment option, what we're trying to do is find a kidney for me, a preemptive kidney transplant, so I can skip dialysis entirely. Sure. And that would be from a living donor then? From a living donor, that's correct. Okay. So what does that process look like then? If you're trying to find this living donor now, I mean, does, you know, I I assume there needs to be some sort of match, et cetera? Yeah, so that's that's a very good question. So, yes, you do. Uh, They are looking for somebody um, that does have the same blood type. Um, In order to be eligible, you can't have any cancer heart disease, um, kidney disease, or any diabetes. So that's, if you have any of those four, right away, you're not eligible to be a living donor. Those that do want to um, potentially be a donor, um, you'd have to contact the Living Donor Program in London. That's where my transplant team is. They will then send like a questionnaire, like basically what's your, your medical history, and from there, um, you would do a workup. So the workup would look very similar to mine. I had to do a CT scan, um, full abdominal ultrasound, lots of blood work, um, EKG, echocardiogram, just to make sure that, one, I was healthy enough to go through a transplant, but also the donor's who do want to donate a kidney, that we at, the doctors also need to ensure that they're not going to jeopardize their life by donating an organ, in this case a kidney. What would it mean to your life, Tom, to receive this donated kidney? Well, I mean, for one, like, dialysis is um, very debilitating, right? So 
um, because my kidneys are so large, I can only do hemodialysis. And I can do it from home or I can do it in the clinic or a hospital. So it's very restrictive, right? And although dialysis does a very good job of cleansing the blood, it can never replace uh, a healthy kidney. And for me, I would, I would be able to live a life without any restrictions. And you talked about that team and how they would have to work with the potential donor to ensure that donor would be at risk or would not be at risk, pardon me. Do, do you know anything about the level of risk associated or what somebody who would possibly come forward at a, as a donor could be experiencing or what risks they may face? Well, you know, with any with any major surgery, they, you know, they're always going to tell you there are some risks, but what a lot, a lot of people don't know is that one out of 700 Canadians are born with only one kidney. You only need one kidney to survive. So the risks are very minimal. However, they do exist. Um, but they also they also want to pre-screen to make sure that, you know, your health wouldn't be jeopardized by going through the surgery. How can somebody, Tom, uh, reach out, help out, become that potential living donor that could make such a dramatic increase in your life? So if anybody wants to be a potential donor, they would contact the Living Donor Program in London. My um, the phone number is 519-663-3552. And just mention my name, Tom Kret. They also You also do, do need to be a registered donor. So you would need to make sure you go to beadonor.ca and register yourself as a potential donor. And just mention that you want to do a workup for kidney transplants. And they'll, they'll take care of everything. They'll pre-screen you. They'll make all the arrangements for you. They'll book all of the testing. I'm sure it's something that you've learned through this process as personal, deeply personal as it obviously is. You're, you're not alone in this. And, and the more people that would pay a visit to beadonor.ca uh, could make a real difference in this regard for Absolutely. a lot of people. Yeah. Absolutely. Tom, I really appreciate you taking the time to share your story with us on the show today. I, I wish you good health, and I hope we can make a connection for you. That's fantastic, Mike. Thank you so much for having me on. It's my pleasure, and you continue to do well, sir. Thanks for being here. Yep, thank you so much, Mike. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Tom Kret is a Kitchener man, 52 years young, and in need before arriving at the stage of his life, inevitably that he will need dialysis for survival, uh, looking now for that preemptive living donor who may be the match for the kidney that Tom so desperately needs. This is one of those things, we talk about it from time to time on the show. I, I remember previous conversations and you know that it's, it's a pretty easy process, right? Beadonor.ca, you might have something that you don't need that could be life-changing to somebody else, in this case, the kidney. Once you have passed having your organs donated could be the difference in somebody's life once you're gone. I've always believed it's a pretty simple thing to do. And look, I get it. I know for some, the whole idea is uncomfortable. 
There would be uh, religious convictions that prevent someone from signing that card or registering to be a donor. For me, there's absolutely nothing standing in the way. Once I'm gone, I'm gone. If any part of me can help out after that, I'm, I'm all for it. And there have been some really cool and rather incredible stories associated with people who are on the receiving end of one of those donations. As it turns out, we're going to get the opportunity to meet someone just like that who needed a kidney and got a kidney from a living donor. She will share her story next as we continue on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570. Well, we just heard from Tom Kret, a Kitchener man who is in need of a kidney donation. He's on the road towards dialysis. He fully expects to be there around the same time that his father arrived because he has inherited the genetic kidney condition. His father began dialysis at 56. Tom is 52, but he and his team are working towards finding a living donor to get some help for Tom now before that inevitability of the requirement of dialysis arrives in the next few years. Uh, As it turns out, in following through on Tom's story, I was reintroduced to an old friend who I didn't actually know had had a kidney transplant herself. So it's great to have Candace Coughlin join us on the show, the Education and Outreach Coordinator and Living Kidney Transplant Recipient at the Center for Living Organ Donation at the University Health Network. Candace, Happy New Year and good morning. Happy New Year. Good morning <laughs> to you too. Thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. And all these years I had no idea that you were a <laughs> kidney transplant recipient. So there you have it. There you have it. Yes, many people don't know that there's lots of us walking around with kidney transplants. So can you share with us the experience first, what led you to the need and then how the process worked in receiving that living donation? For sure. So I was born with um, a missing gene, um, which caused over time my kidneys to fail. And uh, basically, without us knowing, um, I was on a path with kidney disease and kidney failure. Um, and then in first year university, or sorry, third year university, um, I was getting pretty sick. Um, and so my mom asked me to go get some blood work done. I did that, and our local hospital called in the middle of the night saying, you need to get here right away. And uh, I was diagnosed with end-stage kidney disease and started hemodialysis about 24 hours later. So it was a real crash start into the world of kidney disease and I was about 24 years old. So, you know, really young to have to deal with all of those emotions and to try to understand what dialysis was. I did dialysis for about 15 months and uh, during that process, my mom was worked up to be a living donor and we were very lucky and, of course, very grateful that she was uh, eligible and she was a match. So we had our kidney transplant on September 9th back in 2009 and it's been going great ever since. And I have a beautiful two and a half year old daughter now because of that as well. Is that ever incredible? And I, and I, <laughs> I guess I, I would be, you know, outside looking and kind of assuming here that Maybe our first choices or options for matches are our relatives. Is that how it might often work? 
So actually, that's what most people think is that um, it's your relatives that are going to be the best match. But um, it really um, is is not just relatives. It can really be anyone. So it's mainly dependent on um, blood type is one of the first things that we look at. And then um, moving backwards from there. So we check the donor's health. Um, and then um, at the end of, you know, checking all of these things that we're seeing, if the donors are healthy, if their heart is strong, that they have no um, other issues like diabetes or heart disease, Um, then there's also a um, blood compatibility and um, a thing that takes a look at any kind of issues that there may be with matching. So they do a cross match between the two people to see if that recipient could potentially reject that kidney. Um, So it's a very long process, and yeah, many people think, oh, it must be my mom or my brother or my sister, but many times it's actually even anonymous donors that people have never met who step forward, and they're the better match than a family member. That's great to know. And so mm-hmm. you mentioned, Candice, that 14 years on, you're doing well, so well, in fact, that you have a beautiful two-and-a-half-year-old in your life now. What about on mom's side as the living donor? What is the experience like for the donor? So generally, donors go through a very thorough workup process. So they're getting multiple tests over months and months. Um, The goal for a kidney transplant is to have the whole workup process done in about six months. Um, And it's also dependent on the donor because they do have to go to the hospital several times to do these tests to see if they're eligible. And the main goal is to make sure that that donor is healthy enough to go through that process. So the donor team is completely separate from the recipient team to make sure that they are healthy enough, but also to make sure that they're doing this out of their own free will and that they really do want to do this and they're committed. So they go through several months of testing and then they have the surgery, um, hoping that that's a very successful surgery after being through so much testing. We rarely have um, issues with that. And then the donor recovery is generally about a week in hospital. And most donors uh, who donate their kidney are back to work in six to eight weeks. Um, most of the surgeries are done laparoscopically now as well. So it's quite small incisions that they have um, for the surgery. And many people come out of it saying, oh, I wish my scar was a lot bigger. So it could be like a warrior scar. Um, but, you know, later on in life, many people don't know that you've ever donated a kidney unless uh, you get an ultrasound or somebody tells you about it. Given that what you said earlier about anonymous donors, sometimes the the recipients don't even know, would never know who their donor was. But the Mm -hmm. fact that, you know, we just spoke to a gentleman on the show who is in need of a kidney and hoping to find that living donor. Is this Mm -hmm. a matter, Candice, of maybe folks just not being aware of their ability to be really helpful or useful in this regard? For sure. I I don't think many people think about transplantation unless they're personally impacted by it. And so I think there's just not enough awareness about the need. One in 10 Canadians are living with kidney disease. And right now, the the need for organs far outweighs the supply. So only about 35% of Canadians are registered organ donors. And then with living donation, a lot of people don't know that you can go through the process as a living donor and do this remarkable thing and give that gift of life to people and uh, continue to live a really healthy lives themselves. So 
Um, last year, about 576 Canadians became living donors, but there's still, um, you know, close to 3,200 Canadians who are waiting for an organ transplant right now. How can somebody, how, how can we get those numbers up, you know, from 35% of eligible Canadians? Is it as simple as going to beadonor.ca and registering? Absolutely. And when we talk with them, the majority of them believe in organ donation, they support organ donation, but they just don't realize that they haven't registered. And it's beyond that as well. You need to talk to your family about your about your views as well, because at the end of the day, it's up to your family whether or not you become a donor. So as you said, register at beadonor.ca, talk to your family, and then even one step further, if you're willing and you're you know, a healthy person who feels that urge to give that gift of life while you're still here, take a look at some information on uhntransplant.ca about living donation. You can donate a kidney or a portion of your liver, um, and it's very safe. We have very high success rates at UHN and, and across the country, um, and we've never had a, a death of a donor either. It's, it's a very successful program, and many people go through that program. Um, we're caring for over 6,000 recipients at, at UHN, so as you can see, there's lots of people who have gone through this and live very healthy lives afterwards and you know, live their life knowing that they've saved somebody's life. It's uh, an incredible story. I'm so glad to know that you are doing as well as you are. And thank you very much, Candice, for the work that you're doing and and the time that you've given on the show today to let others know that they do have this within them to help out. It's, it's, uh, It's a great story to share. So thank you. Thank you so much. And if anybody is interested, they can always reach out and email us at livingorgandonation at uhn.ca. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks, Candice. Have a great day. Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye. Candice Coughlin is the Education and Outreach Coordinator and herself a living kidney transplant recipient at the Centre for Living Organ Donation at the University Health Network. You can email livingorgandonation at uhn.ca. You can visit uhntransplant.ca to learn more about living donation or be a donor.ca and you just might find out that you are the person who could help out somebody else, maybe even anonymously, a kidney, portion of a liver, etc. Great that we could share these stories on the show today. Uh, boy, oh boy, sometimes, sometimes it's it's hard to keep it together on the air. I'm, I'm working today with our studio door propped open because it's hotter than Hades in here. And so you may have heard some groans from out down the hallway because... With 11 seconds to go in the Canada-Czechia game, Czechia scored. I was keeping one eye on the TV, as I promised I would, as I'm doing the show here live on the radio. And honest to goodness, I had just thought to myself, like Canada was carrying the play in this game, carrying it. And I said to myself in my mind, the only way Czechia wins is on a fluke goal. And 30 seconds after I thought that, so clearly this is my fault, uh, a shot goes in off a Canadian defenseman's leg. And it was a nothing play. But it came with 11 seconds left, and Czechia has eliminated Canada at the World Junior Championship. Well, Canada will still play something for, you know, standings overall, but Canada will not win a medal at the World Juniors this year. Oh, my goodness, the heartbreak. The heartbreak. You should see all the fans were burying their faces with their hands. You heard the groans, maybe, in our studios here at the, at, at the boardwalk. Oh, my goodness, a heartbreaker. 
Canada loses 3-2 to Czechia over at the World Juniors. An update from the City News Center. I'm sure Mark Douglas will have some more on this game. And then, what can we expect for the year ahead in our workplaces? We'll do a little bit of forecasting coming up on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570. so lucky as to be back at work today. Oh yeah, you're lucky. Collecting that paycheck. Back at the grind, working for the man. Here's the new boss, same as the old boss. I bring all of this up, the workplace and our place in it. Because as we begin a new year, uh, our good friend uh, Frank Newman of Newman Human Resources is out with his predictions of what work will or how work will work, let's say, uh, for the year ahead. And as we gaze back at, at, at his predictions for uh, 2023, the year just finished, I, I got to say the crystal ball was pretty shiny. Mental health issues would continue to dominate. That absolutely did happen. Wages were under pressure as inflation continued. That absolutely was a thing. So I wonder how Frank feels about the year ahead as he joins us on the show this morning. Happy New Year, my friend, and good morning. Well, thank you very much, Mike. Happy New Year to you too. Are you uh, are you feeling pretty good about the like looking back at your predictions from twenty twenty three? You uh, you pretty much nailed it across the board. Diversity inclusion plans. It was a candidate's market for jobs. The mental health issues I already mentioned, et cetera, et cetera. You had a pretty good track record last year with those predictions. Well, thanks, Mike. Yeah, certainly uh, those trends can you know took place. Uh, we had certainly. Uh, you know, inflation was a challenge for many companies in the year, and I, a lot of our clients were adjusting their salaries pretty regularly. But fortunately, inflation has toned down a bit, so that's definitely getting better. And certainly, mental health is a key concern for many people, and we're still living in what I call the fragile society. What, why do you call it the fragile society? What we're seeing, Mike, is we're seeing all kinds of pressure on people, both uh, economically with inflation, uh, but we're also seeing it socially as people are uh, feeling deluged with social media. Uh, We're being uh, infiltrated with AI images and messages, and people are just struggling to uh, keep sane, and uh, and it continues to be unrelenting. What are you seeing in that crystal ball, Frank, for workplace trends in 2024? The most interesting trend is the rise of AI, you know, artificial intelligence. And we're seeing more and more companies and individuals starting to make use of this. And that would apply to things such as ChatGPT. So more and more companies are now thinking about how can we use this to, for example, write letters and respond to uh, queries. And uh, so employees you know, need to be smart about this and start to learn to use this as well as companies need to take advantage of it to make life easier. How can companies begin to take advantage of it? Well, 
partly is the first thing is to start training their employees and make sure they understand how to use the tools and also how to use the tools safely. So if they're using it for research, making sure that the information they're getting is accurate, uh, but also uh, allowing people the freedom to explore. Um, with tools like ChatGPT, you can obviously write letters, you can write policies, uh, you can create stories, you can create marketing campaigns. And the benefit is it takes far less time and you can turn it into more productive time for other things. You know, it, it, it occurs to me, Frank, that those who are in the market looking for a job could really put AI to good use in ensuring that their profiles are up to snuff and that they are putting their best online foot forward, let's say. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, so, again, you can, you can put your resume through, uh, through chat GPT. Uh, you've just got to be a little careful that it doesn't sound uh, too much like somebody else. So you want to make sure it reflects who you are. But certainly for people looking for jobs, being attentive to social media is going to be really important. So understanding what's on their LinkedIn profile, so investing time with that is important. But also even being careful about their social media pictures. Uh, I had one brilliant candidate for job, and the uh, the client looked at her social media, and she'd had one of these glamour portraits done, you know, by a professional photographer. And they thought, well that person might be a little risque to bring into our business. So it was it was interesting. She turned out to be a fabulous employee and not the least bit risque, but certainly the employers are looking at your social media. So make sure you've got the most professional image and, and be careful what you share. On the employer's side, Frank, you note that workplace culture will continue to be at the forefront. And, you know, it occurs to me that I'm old enough to remember a time that we never talked about a workplace culture. I mean, I'm sure it existed to some extent, but really the transaction was I will come to work for you for X dollars per hour or X salary per year. And that was kind of the end of the transaction. We didn't think a whole lot about, I don't believe anyway, the kind of culture we were walking into. We were just making that kind of binary transaction. I will work these many hours for this much money. Yeah, and that's been the tradition for many, many years. I mean, that was when it was an employer's market, whereas today the tables have turned, so it's really an employee's market. And so employees are looking for things like a a strong, positive culture. They're looking for great managers. Uh, That's one of the key things to uh, keeping and engaging staff. But they're also looking for diversity. They want to make sure that regardless of uh, their background or their orientation, that they're being respected. And um, it's interesting, you know, typically the main reason people left jobs, uh, say, 10 years ago was because of the boss. Now that's being overtaken by a negative or a toxic culture. So if there's any trace of that, you know, that's going to get into social media. It's going to get reported on Glassdoor. So managing your culture is a real strategic advantage for companies. It strikes me, though, as, I mean, worthwhile work for sure, but difficult work, isn't it? It's, it would be far easier in my mind just to compare salaries and make sure you're paying a competitive wage as opposed to the real work that's involved in creating the kind of culture that is inviting to newcomers and existing employees. Yeah, well, and and you make a great point, Mike, about newcomers. So as I'm doing recruiting for my clients, 
80% of applicants last year were newcomers to Canada. So that says a tremendous amount about our culture, about how we're changing as a society. And so smart employers are taking advantage of that. They're leveraging uh, that newcomer knowledge and also providing them a welcome environment because for many newcomers to Canada, this is a different way of working. And, you know, how you treat your boss, how you treat other people, can you be friendly with people at work, all these things uh, need to be filtered in uh, for smart employers because if you're going to attract the, the best newcomers, you want to make them feel welcome and appreciated and allow them to uh, acclimatize to the new new working environment here. If I were to sum up one of the big themes that I think I saw in 2023, Frank, it would be that we had the return to the office sort of. And and by that, I mean, nobody was anywhere that, at least not in my realm, five days a week. But there was at least some sort of hybrid situation where you were in the office a couple or a few days working remotely on the other days. And then I think it was just last week in The Globe, I, I read a story that suggested that the remote working experiment is over entirely and people are back to the office. Where do you see remote work or hybrid work in 2024? Yeah, that's been one of the, obviously, that emerged through COVID. And I agree with you, Mike. We're seeing more and more people returning to the office. We're seeing companies a little less agreeable to having people work fully at home. And so many organizations are moving to the hybrid where you're two or three days in the office, two or three days at home. And so that has certainly been a a shift back to the office. And certainly during COVID, we saw a lot of people moving out of, you know, Kitchener-Waterloo and going up to Barrie or up to, uh, um, you know, Moosonee or whatever to work. And, uh, you know, right now I wouldn't be advising people to uh, go on those long-distance moves uh, because you can't guarantee you're going to have remote work in the future. But I I think it's definitely going to be around, but I think the trend is definitely the other way. Although, on the other hand, if I'm doing recruiting for my clients, if I've got a hybrid job or a, a remote job, I can certainly get more candidates. I can probably get 30 more candidates. So definitely people uh, enjoy the remote work, that's for sure. Do you think some level or some measure of remote work is is here to stay? Like, will we ever go beyond hybrid again in terms of full-time back in an office setting? I, I think it's going to be mixed. It's going to depend on the on the company. You know, we we when we think about hybrid, of course, it's office work. But we have you know millions of people working in factories and restaurants where they don't have the option. But I think you're always going to have more tolerance for hybrid work uh, than we had in the past. Now, when we started with COVID, people were suspicious about people working at home and can they be productive? And what we have seen is people are incredibly productive working at home. So I think we're always going to see some of it. And I think, too, companies are more flexible with things like childcare. You know, if you've got to look after your son or daughter at home for a day, uh, employers are not balking at that the way they used to. Yeah. It's really interesting times for sure and always an interesting conversation. Frank, thank you very much for joining the show. And once again, Happy New Year. Thank you. Same to you, Mike. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.
Frank Newman is the owner of Newman Human Resources, joins us to talk about the year ahead in the workplace. And I got to say, I mean, I find it really interesting. As I said in that conversation with Frank, I I grew up in an era where the transaction was a pretty simple one. (laughs) It was basically, you have a job and I will agree to do that job for you in exchange for this much money per hour or this much money annually. And that was pretty much it. The employer's contribution, if you will, to culture beyond that was when you come to work, the door will be open. You know, like that's it. And the equipment that you need, I guess, to do the job on site will will be there for you. And, of course, I've seen, especially in this community, gosh, when we were talking and talking and talking, and we still do, I, I would argue to some degree about tech because we have such a thriving tech sector. But when, you know, Waterloo Region became known as Silicon Valley North, uh, I, I started seeing these office spaces and and hearing all of these stories about workplace culture and the sorts of perks that some workplaces were offering and they became more and more common. You know, this whole idea of flexible hours where as long as you're getting your work done, the place of employment doesn't care if you're doing it between 7 a.m. and 3 p.m. or 2 p.m. and 10 p.m., like whatever suits your schedule better. The the idea of, you know, forget casual office wear, but like dressing right down, the whole, you know, stereotype, I guess, of the, the tech worker in a hoodie. And then these these areas within the workplace, not only are there fully catered and, and supplied cafeterias, but there are these these pods where you can work individually, you know, in a quiet environment on your own. There are little areas where you can take an afternoon nap. There's games rooms. It's it's just really, really interesting stuff. This The sorts of things I never would have imagined when I first began working. And, and I, I get it, and I get the importance of culture for sure. And I do, I will maintain that it's a much more difficult thing for an employer to get right, to offer. There's competition for the best culture, if you will. It's not just who's paying more because you can measure that really easily. We're very competitive on salary at company A based on what companies B, C, D, and E are paying, right? But when it comes to what's happening within those walls and the kind of culture that has been created, well, that's a that's a different story entirely. This conversation with Frank today was actually precipitated Uh, by a story that I read last week under the headline, Bay Street losing workers as big bucks lure new finance grads away from Toronto's high cost of living. And I wondered when I reached out to Frank, I asked him the question, I mean, is this a new kind of brain drain? We used to hear about the brain drain in, in academia and in healthcare especially, but if you've got people working in the financial services area, the financial sector of Toronto on Bay Street, and as good as the money can be, you know, relative to the money that I make and maybe the money that you make, it's not even enough given the high cost of living in Toronto. And now workers are being lured to places like New York where they find not just higher wages, but something that relative to the cost of living is more attractive to them. So I, I wondered, and, and that's why I reached out to Frank in the first place, like, are we experiencing a different kind of brain drain? 
And before you ask, I'll tell you, this headline, Bay Street losing workers as big bucks lure new finance grads away from Toronto's high cost of living, comes in, of all places, the Toronto Star. Now, our good friend of the program, Ari Goldkind, shared on social media this story and posted, we lose the people who are good neighbors, support the arts, support restaurants, support law and order, support civility in a clean city, support parks and keeping them clean for themselves and their kids, and we get a ton more of people who don't. It's the death spiral of Toronto. Doomy and gloomy, perhaps, but that is Ari's take on this loss of high-end finance grads who are headed to places like New York because Toronto's just too damn expensive. And that ties into something we talked about earlier today. And Kathy even called and said, I'm one of those people who used to live in Waterloo Region but left because it's just getting too darn expensive there. Interesting times, and it will be another interesting year ahead in that regard, I am sure. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 can't guarantee you're going to have remote work in the future, but I think it's definitely going to be around, but I think the trend is definitely the other way. Although, on the other hand, if I'm recruiting for my clients, if I've got a hybrid job or a remote job, I can certainly get more candidates. I can probably get 30 more candidates. So definitely people enjoy the remote work, that's for sure. And as the employer, you're certainly widening widening the pool of applicants, aren't you? If remote work is a possibility. I don't think we're ever going back. That box is wide open, and I don't think there's much return, certainly in the jobs that can afford it. And Frank Newman, the owner of Newman Human Resources, whose voice you just heard and with whom we just had a conversation, pointed out there are millions of people going to jobs every day where remote work is not a possibility. And I I kind of feel for them. Sometimes I, I get envious of my colleagues who have managed to pull off the trick of doing this job the job that I do every day remotely. I don't think I'd feel right, but maybe that's because I'm old and change is hard and I'm a creature of habit. Like I I like my routines, boy oh boy. Once I find a routine that works, I am going to stick to it, which made it all the more interesting when we started right off the bat this morning by mixing up a few things here on the show. And that's going to continue. We're going to evolve in just minor ways, but little tweaks here and there uh, through the year. On this show, we've launched into our first show of 2024. It sounded a little bit different right from the get-go. And as I said, we're going to just continue to add a little more here and a little more there. And I'm looking forward to it. It excites me to do something just a little bit different. One of those things is opening up even more time for you to call the show for a conversation or to get something off your chest every day for a full hour. We're going to have the 12 o'clock talk back. So it's the 12 o'clock talk back hour from noon until one every single day. So gone are the rant or rave opportunities or the free phones Fridays opportunities or the question or comment opportunities that we used to have. We took them all away to make one consistent space for you each and every day from noon until one with the 12 o'clock talk back hour. So I hope it works for you. I really hope it works for me because if you're not calling, i got a lot of time to fill without any guests, but that's my problem, not yours. Uh, an update from the City News Centre is just around the corner. And then a uh, question here. Has anyone checked on winter? Is it okay? 
Life support? Is there a pulse? Or is winter as we know it slash knew it dead? We'll investigate that next on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570. It's at times like this I remind myself that technically winter only started about two weeks ago, right? On December the 21st. So, okay, for a season that just started, maybe this is typical. The thing is, we have grown accustomed, even in southern Ontario, to a much different kind of winter, haven't we? I mean, a white Christmas was almost an inevitability, certainly when I was a wee lad all those decades ago, getting time off school for Christmas break, we spent that time out on the toboggan hills or building snow forts or all kinds of things like that because there was snow to do it with. Not this year, as you well know. I don't have to tell you that. And I came across a story in the Globe and Mail last week that reminded me that it ain't just us here in southern Ontario. In fact, Canadians across this country are experiencing their warmest, one of their warmest Decembers on record. And instead of the typical freezing temperatures and snowstorms, we're getting heavy rain, some flooding, and of course, green lawns and record daily highs. So the question becomes, is winter as we knew it dead? The best person to answer that question, in my opinion, is our next guest, David Phillips, the senior climatologist with Environment Canada, and he joins the show. Good morning, David, and Happy New Year. Well, Mike, thank you so much. I appreciate that, and uh, always enjoy chatting with you and uh, about our favorite topic of conversation. Absolutely. As Canadians. And, you know, seldom, though, Mike, are we united in in the same weather from coast to coast to coast. It's a big country, second largest in the world, and it's often, you know, the... The West freezing in the dark and the East basking in the sunlight, something like that, um, or the, the reverse. And it just absolutely, I looked at the map of Canada, I didn't see one location, not a, a pinprick on the map, that was colder than normal or even normal temperatures in uh, in December. It was just absolutely, it doesn't look like winter, doesn't feel like winter, and it's everywhere. It's not, it's not just in Kitchener-Waterloo or southwestern Ontario. It is from coast to coast to coast. It, it can't come to, I say to people in Toronto, winter can't come to you guys until it comes to Tuktoyaktuk. And it hasn't come to Tuktoyaktuk yet. So it really has been just one of the balmiest, most open, as our, par- as our parents would say, the, you know, an open and soft kind of winter. And we've certainly had that so far. And Mike, you're right. I mean, the astronomical beginning to winter, yeah, about the 21st, but we, you know, in the West, my gosh, they can sometimes say they've had too much winter by Remembrance Day, and um, and certainly when they're when they're seeing places like Winter, Winter Winnipeg or Saskatoon, Edmonton, and they're not seeing any snow at all, um, it is people are just wondering what's happening. We're sending out search parties looking for winter, and we certainly can't find it on this side of the, of the earth. We were told coming into this season that we were going to have an El Nino winter, but this seems even atypical for an El Nino winter, David. How do you look at it? Mike, you're right. I mean, it's been, you know, we knew it was going to be a factor, a big factor this this, this winter because um, of the fact that uh, we haven't had one since, well, the last one was 2015, 2016. 
So it's been eight years, but um, this was a large one, a large episode. When these, this is this warm water that sits up the coast of South America and Peru, Ecuador, along the beaches there. But it extends out to the international dateline and even goes beyond to over to Indonesia. So it's a warm pool of water that sets up. But it, it's, and it's thousands of kilometers away from kitchener Waterloo, but it does affect the, the circulation pattern, the, um, the atmosphere, the jet stream, and, and, and so therefore influences our, our winter. But it came much earlier, um, and, and, and typically it's declared maybe October, September, October, November, and uh, this one was declared by June or July of this year. It was a large tub of hot water, um, and it was also intensely warm. Not the not the warmest, but but then I think Mike, the other thing too, it was the backdrop of one of the war- the warmest summer on record globally, and in Canada, uh, the oceans were like like you know um, uh, they they were like marine heat waves. Uh, every ocean was just uh, boiling. And um, and so the backdrop of this El Nino is is a warmer world, anyways. And so I think that combination of of the fact that winters aren't what they used to be, the El Nino, and the fact that there's no Arctic air around. I mean, um, uh, its its polar vortex exists over in Siberia or Moscow or China, but doesn't exist on this side of the um, uh, of the north uh, of the North Pole. And so it's just been there's just not been the 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 forces set up to to bring us this kind of cold weather and that's why a winter has been well i'm not say canceled i've never said that in this second coldest country in the world and the snowiest country in the world but certainly has been postponed and um and it it makes the uh if you're not a big fan of winter you've got to like it but mike i always think this that the weather you may be blessing Maybe the weather you're cursing later on. You don't know what the full implications of this are for, uh, for for bugs and diseases and and things like that. Uh, for the growing season, for um, for forest fires, for drought. Uh, all of these things are are influenced by what happens in the in the fall and the winter time. So we'll have to wait and see to do a full accounting of whether this is a a good news, bad news. I mean, there's there's always somebody not liking it. People who love recreation recreation in wintertime outdoor recreation are really feeling the the crunch you've got to feel sorry for the the ski resorts they it, it's you know it's either prosperity or bankruptcy between christmas and new years you can't even make snow so in and it's not just in southern ontario but it's it's really even in the west i mean their their resorts are not open and it's um it it really is um a big hit for people who are very weather sensitive and depend upon normal weather and this is anything but normal You said something, David, that makes me a wee bit nervous because you know that I'm not the biggest fan of winter. I do my best, but I just, I don't always do well. (laughs) But you said not cancelled, just postponed, which I understand. But, you know, I've been running into so many people and we talk about the mild winter so far, the green Christmas, et cetera, et cetera. But the sense is, the feeling we get of dread is that we're going to pay for it down the road, right? Because it's going to be winter until April or May, isn't it, David? (laughs) That is the Canadian way. We we think that we're somehow we're going to be punished. You know, and and if you were from Newfoundland, I tell you, you'd be hiding under the bed. Because they get three good days in a row, and they think that nature's going to just beat them up with some (laughs) nasty, foul weather. And so they just, they're prepared for it. But, I mean, no. uh, It just 
sometimes it works that way. Now, hey, I mean, I think that we know January, February, they're the two coldest months. Uh, when you when you look at um, in Kitchener-Waterloo, I mean, uh, more than two-thirds of your annual snowfall occurs after January the 1st. And uh, and similarly with a number of snow days. So, so winter, you know, I'd be uh, charlatan to think that I was going to carry on the way it is. And um, especially if people have suggested El Nino has peaked and maybe it's going to wane a bit, you know. Uh, and we know with the dreaded polar vortex always shows up. I mean, it, it may last only a week, but it, it will be it will be there, I am sure. I don't think there's ever been a year without some Arctic air flooding down the rest of Canada and, and telling us where we live. But um, no, it doesn't average out. Um, it, it can sometimes just, what you see is what you're going to get. A first rule of forecasting, look out the window. What you see is what you're going to get. But I, I think that clearly, and, and you know, I, I see some hope, especially people, and I know the, the, the news brief I heard just coming into this, our segment, uh, talked about the skiing locally, uh, and, um, and uh, I, I see some good news. The fact that even this week, for example, I, I see flurries, I don't see any fog, I see more days with flurries. I mean, you don't get a lot of snow with flurries, but I see those temperatures, what we call a, an all-freeze day, where morning, noon, and night, the temperature's below freezing. It still could be above normal. I mean, you'd have to have in Kitchener, for example, the average temperature right now for the afternoon would be minus 3, and the low at night about minus 10. So we're going to see temperatures like minus 1, minus 2. That's still seasonable or slightly above, but at least we're going to see five or six or seven days in a row with what we call all freezing. That is morning, noon, and night. And I think that some of the local ski resorts will be able to make snow under those kind of conditions. And so it will at least maybe look like it. It won't be real nice powdery type snow and deep, but it's the beginning. And uh, if we can get some help from from nature, I think that uh, it's not going to be a shutout. But Mike, I mean, I think you'll be, there'll be moments you wish you were somewhere else this winter. I'm sure of it. It uh, it, it it never fails us that um, we are the great white north, and I think we're we're still that. And I think that we will see some winter. But right now, Mike, it is short. I mean, that's that's the other thing. We don't predict the length of the winter season or any season, but we know the front end of this is non-existent, and particularly out west because they're still not being inconvenienced at all, and and they need it. And, and actually, most Westerners are hoping for some some snow because this means a lot for the agriculture and 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 uh, and and that kind of a an enterprise that they're engaged in. So hey, uh, there's there's uh, some people are hoping and begging and praying for it, but uh, sometimes nature doesn't listen to us. Memory is a funny thing and a fuzzy thing, especially mine, but I do wonder as I think back on those times of my youth, those winters of my youth, and I've been right here in southern Ontario, David, the entire time, okay. but it, 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 it seems to me that there was more snow. Have our winters in the broader context become milder and less snowy? Are we noticing a change in that? Well, Mike, we are. You're not imagining it. I think what your your collective memory is is true. Um, I think that is the one season, Mike. I mean, we're known for our winters. 
the length of winters, the brutality, the punishing, face-numbing wind chill, all those kinds of things. But we are known as the as the winter people, and um, and and really the one season. If you look at all the four seasons, the one season that is truly different in Canada is the winter. It's just not as cold. Um, now, snow is hard to figure out, though, because sometimes it can be so cold that the air is so dry because you're getting just Arctic air, polar air, Siberian air, not a lot of moisture to that, and so therefore there's not a lot of snow to that. So you can get a lot of days with snow. It tends to be little, little, piddly little amounts, but the amounts of the, the Paul Bunyan kind of snowfalls typically come with more southern uh, systems, like from Texas, Oklahoma, Colorado, that come up, bite, bump, bump into the cold air, and then you get the white stuff. And then it turns on the lake effect snow engine, which can then bury you people and where I live near Barrie, um, it, um, it it can can turn that. But Mike, you're right. I mean, in the 70s, I often point to the 70s. That was the snowiest decade that I ever remember, and um, and it was really just almost every year was was a snowy year. And then since then. The years have been less snow. It's, it's quite variable. You can go along, and, and this year could be like last year. In some parts of Ontario, we had much more snow than normal, even though it was milder than normal. Um, so it does vary with the snowfall, particularly in our area because of the, of the lake effect. The lake effect could mean you could have a cold kind of outbreak, and you get lots of snow pile up. Or you could have more mild southerly air like we've seen this year, which has been a lot of rain associated with it. We've seen some places, I think Kitchener-Waterloo has had as twice as much rain in December than they normally would get. And so that is just, you're, you're getting the moisture, but you're not getting the right temperature. So I think that really, you know, you're not imagining it, and, and, and I think that winter is really, um, is, is just, has changed um, than when people were younger and uh, and even the white christmas i mean i don't say that white christmas determined that this year was going to be a green christmas or or that climate change determined this year was going to be a green christmas or next year is going to be a white christmas but mike when you look at the figures for the last say 65 years in canada we used to be and this is a terrible thing to say an average over the whole country but typically if you did that for the whole country we were about a 75% chance of having a white christmas from all over canada i mean some places 100% chance and others like vancouver 10% but that would be a figure i would say for canada wide now it's more like 60% so we have lost that in about about half a century we've lost that and so my sense is going forward we could that continue. That's the trend that we're headed towards. And um, and not only that, the frequency is less, but also the fact that the snow on the ground from Christmas morning, that has to be two centimeters or more. We find that depth is less. Instead of being 10 centimeters on average, it's maybe five or six. So those are the kinds of subtle slow motion changes you see. And that's really how the climate changes. David, I always enjoy our conversations. Thank you for making time for another one. Thank you so much, Mike. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. David Phillips, Senior Climatologist with Environment Canada, joining us to talk about this very strange start to winter. Just let this sink in. And again, it's the second time today I've made reference to Thunder Bay, where about 25 years ago, I worked in a newsroom at the good old 580 CKPR up there. But on December the 24th this year, 
Thunder Bay recorded a temperature of 8.3 degrees Celsius. That's plus. That's above zero, 8.3, which beat an historical high that had stood since the 1920s. So a record daily temperature on December the 24th in Thunder Bay that had stood for more than 100 years was shattered this year when... And I can tell you about Thunder Bay winters. Granted, I only spent one winter up there, but that was plenty for me. 8.3 degrees on December the 24th in Thunder Bay. And this is the story for, quote-unquote, winter across the country right now. What we see out our windows today here in the region is almost as much as we've had. We, we did have that storm, really, we got about 12 centimeters, remember, in, in late November? And that was it. And it's been balmy ever since. I mentioned earlier today, and I just don't trust my memory. I really don't. But it turns out I was actually spot on with this. Because I don't know about you, but I've been struggling with the lack of sunshine. I really have. Like, I'm, I'm craving it. I'm still getting outside every day and getting some fresh air. But it's not the same. I don't care if it's six degrees or minus six degrees. I, I, I really want some sun. It's been difficult. And so I, I just think, well, because it's difficult for me, you know, I'm exaggerating the length of time it's been since I've seen the sun. But I, I guessed this morning when I talked about this because I seem to recall a sunny day not long before... I took my holiday break and I left for the holiday break on December the 22nd. And I said, I think the last sunny day we had was December the 21st. So I checked in with another friend at Environment Canada, our good buddy, Kitchener Cooney, as we call him. And indeed, that's the case. The last peaks of the sun here, Cooney tells me, were December the 21st, although Cambridge did see some brief sunny breaks on Friday. But you go back to December the 21st, and we're talking 11, this is day number 12, without any sun. December 15th was the last mainly sunny day in the region. We're coming up on 21 days since we've had a mainly sunny day. How are you de- doing with all of this? I mean, I feel for our friends at Chickabee Ski Club for sure. But just generally, it's, it's been a little tough, hasn't it? I hope you're doing all right. I would still, in the big picture, take a winter like this over a quote-unquote traditional winter. Look, we could all get where we wanted to go at Christmas time because there was no weather putting up a barrier or anything like that. But holy Hannah, could I ever use some sun? I don't know about you, but I wouldn't mind if Mr. Golden Sun came out to play for a little bit. (laughs) This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. Winter has been, well, I'm not saying cancelled. I've never said that in this second coldest country in the world, in the snowiest country in the world, but certainly has been postponed. And it makes the, if you're not a big fan of winter, you've got to like it. But I always think this, that the weather you may be blessing may be the weather you're cursing later on. You don't know what the full implications of this are. Oh, speaking of blessing and cursing, I'll get to that in just a moment. David Phillips. Senior climatologist with Environment Canada, good friend of the program. I've been talking to David on this show 
for as many years as I can remember, since back in the days when I would fill in as a guest host on the various talk shows on this radio station. And it's great to have him on the show today to talk about the winter that has not been, at least not yet. I hope we don't have to pay a steep price (laughs) in the early months here of 2024, but we know it is inevitable. There will be some sub-zero temperatures and some heavy snowfalls still to come, and I guess we'll just have to deal with it when it happens. But as much as I prefer the milder weather, this has been a tough stretch for me. I just got to be honest with you. It's been way too long without any sunshine for my liking. So I hope you're doing all right and, you know, still making sure you get some of that fresh air when you can. At least it's not freezing. You're not going to freeze your lungs when you take a deep breath out there these days, that's for sure. And we're not unlike the rest of the country. I said blessing and cursing, and I'll get to that in a moment. So we've had a lot of conversations on this show over the years about your opportunities to be a part of the show Several of you at times over the years have asked for more open line opportunities, more times where we just say, hey, phone lines are open, you give us a call and and you direct the conversation. And so as we enter 2024, this is our first show of the new year, we're doing just that. I I held off for as long as I could for six and a half years (laughs) and now every single day we're going to provide you 60 minutes of open lines with the 12 o'clock talk back hour. Oh, look at that. It's almost 12 o'clock. We'll take a break. We'll get you an update from the City News Center, and then it's talk back from you. Let's have a conversation. And if there's something that you need to get off your chest, well, you just go right ahead and do that. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. I cannot tell a lie, and as much as there have been minor changes to this show beginning today, some different sounds, some different segments like the one we are just entering, the core of the show is going to remain the same with the information and the stories that we share with you, and this show will always stand for transparency, responsibility, and accountability, and in the interests of transparency... In my preparation for the show this morning, I forgot to add music specific to this segment, but that's okay. I'll get to it. You'll get to it. The bottom line is we have arrived at this segment, which is new. I mean, new-ish. We've always had open line opportunities here on the show, and we've had several of them per week. But when I was seconded from this show some weeks ago, about a week before Christmas, and sat down for a really good and productive meeting, which I don't often say about meetings. You know how I feel about meetings, right? Not my favorite things. Anyway, uh, it, it, it occurred to me that upper management is not only paying attention to what we do here on the show, but they've got some pretty good ideas. And one of the ideas was, they said, Mike, we don't know when people can call you. And I said, well, they can call anytime. They can call in about any topic. 
Yeah, that's good. But when can they call? You've got this thing on Mondays called rant or rave, and then you've got a different thing on Wednesdays, and then you've got the flip side on Thursday. Like, it's just all these different things. And, and, and then free phones Friday. They said it needs to be consistent, and you need to do more of it. And so I introduce to you the 12 o'clock talk back every single day. Every day, you're going to get a full hour at the same time so you consistently know. Maybe you try to call in during one of our segments earlier to share your opinion and you don't get through. Whatever. You always know and you will know from now on that you can reach me between 12 and 1. Maybe you just want to have a conversation. It's that kind of day. I need somebody to talk to and Farwell said he's available for calls between 12 and 1. Cool. Or maybe you've got something you just need to get off your chest. Also, cool. So phone lines open to you every day from noon until 1 with the 12 o'clock talkback hour. 519-570-2545. Star 570-1800-570-5715. My challenge to you is this. I know that our regular and loyal listeners are always going to be here and will fill this hour on a regular, if not daily basis. But tell a friend about it. Let's get some new voices into these conversations because there's going to be a lot of opportunity to have them. I'm a little frustrated today because I was keeping one eye on the Team Canada game and they lost 3-2 to Czechia with Czechia scoring the winning goal with 11 seconds to play. And I'd been watching the game, and I thought to myself, because Canada was carrying the play, just carrying the play. And I thought to myself, the only way Czechia wins is if they get a fluky goal. And wouldn't you know, they got a fluky goal that deflected in off a Canadian defenseman's stick. And now Canada will not get to play for a medal. Oh, my goodness. I My heart goes out to our colleagues at that other network that carry the games because... It's going to be awfully tough to get viewership without Canada competing for a medal. But it was a tough loss. Canada played really, really well, and it was a goofy, fluky goal. And then, of course, the USA-Latvia game comes on the television, and less than two minutes into the game, the USA takes the lead. Bah! It's Canada's game, but not this year at the World Juniors. All right, let's get to the phones. It is your 12 o'clock talk back, so let's hear from you. Paul, good afternoon. I told you. I'd be uh, you did. You're as reliable as the noonday sun. Listen, this uh, earlier you had to fell on from the Canadian uh, or the Cambridge Taxpayers Association. The um, I think everybody in Cambridge should join up on that and start uh, showing up at City Hall. I can remember times when uh, when we packed that City Hall so tight that they had to uh, cancel a meeting and move it over to the Hessler Arena. Haven't seen that happen in a long time, but, you know, with the, the way taxes and whatnot are going. But one of the things that all municipalities need to do in order to reduce costs is to keep their noses out of the business of other levels of government. I, I give you an example. The um, Cambridge City Council decides they want to do something about uh, climate change. They're going to... Uh, they put forward a motion to, to declare a climate crisis, not an emergency, a climate crisis. Got to one-up everybody else. So somebody puts forward this motion. 
then what they do is they pass the motion and then they send this motion off to city staff and tell them, come up with a plan in order to do something about uh, our climate crisis. The, uh, there's nothing that the city is going to be able to do. They can, oh, they can plant that green wall at City Hall with all the plants on it. Uh, I haven't seen that yet, but I hear that was quite the waste of money. But why doesn't the city stick to city business and keep their noses out of other levels of government? That way, you don't have to have all these city staff members going out and doing all these reports and saying, oh, well, if we buy, uh, you know, this type of paper instead of this type of paper, uh, we'll reduce our carbon emissions, but put our costs up by 20%. That is... Droppings from a male bovine. <laughs> All right, Paul. Yeah, one, one other thing. Okay. The, uh, you, you talk about, I know you don't like winter and whatnot, but come next spring, the farmers are going to be looking at that snowpack and hoping there's going to be enough water there to, uh, to water their crops. I know, I know. Farmers feed cities, and they rely on that uh, that snowfall, that snowpack to replenish the uh, reservoirs and everything else. So uh, don't be so happy that we're not getting a lot of snow. All right, Paul. Appreciate the call. Thank you. Uh, I, I'm trying to not be too happy about it, but you know me, not the biggest fan of winter. Look, I generally agree with what Paul is saying around each level of government staying in its lane. I I pitched this late last year, a stay in your lane summit, because I I don't necessarily agree on the climate side of things. I think municipalities can do like when it comes to their vehicle fleets, when it comes to that living wall, that green wall at Cambridge City Hall is beautiful. It's not my fault. You haven't seen it. It's really nice. So anyway, I, I think cities can do something in that regard. But the idea that every municipality has declared a climate emergency or crisis. They're just copying and pasting the same motion and the same paperwork, so we could certainly cut down on some redundancy there. I've talked about this in the context of the living wage discussion. I think it's, or not living wage, uh, universal basic income. I think universal basic income is is a lovely idea and one that's worth exploring more. But a municipal council has zero business getting involved in it and and wasting time of staff to generate a report or whatever they're generating. They should focus on things in the city because ain't nobody sending you a universal basic income check from City Hall. It just doesn't happen that way. So and I don't think it helps to further confuse an already confused public here in the region with two levels of municipal government then a provincial government, then a federal government, Parliament Hill, Queen's Park, Regional Council, City Council, Township Council, stop it. Just stop it. So to that end, I certainly agree with Paul. I think we should stay in our lanes. And I do hope, by the way, that a show like this helps to keep you engaged in local issues. I would love to see council chambers so full that they have to relocate meetings, but those days seem long gone. We're going to keep doing our best here on this show, though, I promise. George, good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon, Mike. I love this new segment, the Talk Back segment, and I want to talk back about what happened on Friday night at the Oz. Sure. It was a tough loss for the Rangers. I remember that much. It was a tough loss. They, it seemed like they were doing well, but in the end, they just couldn't win that game against uh, 
uh, against Flint. My concern, Mike, over the last three years, I think, just the last three years, I have not seen a Rangers victory. So I'm starting to think, am I the cause? (laughs) George, be careful. We'll ban you from the Memorial Auditorium, pal. We'll keep you out. That's all I wanted to say. (laughs) Thanks, George. Appreciate the call. And again, it was good to see you at the game and talk to your kids a little bit. Loved it. It's a great experience being at the rink on a Friday night in this town. And the Rangers may not have won on Friday, but they won on Saturday. And they won yesterday. They play again, by the way, on Thursday night. Strange, I know, but we're still in that weird quasi-holiday week. So there's a Thursday night game, Saginaw Spirit in town to take on the Rangers at the Memorial Auditorium Thursday night, two days from now. Lisa, good afternoon. Lisa... Lisa, I know you're there. Did you butt-dial me? Did Lisa go to the drive-thru? Uh, she's there. I can hear her. Well, I can hear her car, I think. Or her truck. I think she drives a van. Anyway. Lisa, I'm so disappointed. I thought you were going to be one of our inaugural 12 o'clock talkback members. Last chance for Lisa. Uh, Lisa, you can call us back, Okay. Because something wasn't right there. But the phone, what I like about that is that indicates to me that we may not be number one on the speed dial, but we are one of Lisa's saved numbers because she 100% just dialed us accidentally, and I'm here for it. Sue, good afternoon. Hi, Mike. How are you? I am terrific, thank you. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I just called in to wish you a happy new year. Well, thank you very much for that, and a very happy new year to you, Mayor Foxton. Thank you. I know that voice. I know that voice, Mayor (laughs) Foxton. (laughs) How was your holiday? I missed the snow, Mike. I'm so happy New Year's Eve that we had snow. It was beautiful. Yeah, at least we got a white New Year's instead of a white Christmas, right? We got white something. That's right. (laughs) Well, I'm glad to hear it, and I'm glad to hear from you. Thanks for calling in. You have a great New Year. Take care, Mike. You too. Bye-bye. Sue Foxton, the mayor of North Dumfries. Hey, listen, mayors, let me see. Can I rattle them all off? Uh, Shantz in Woolwich. I'll go through the township. Salonen in Wilmot. Uh, Noack in Wellesley. Wellesley, as they say in Wellesley. You have to add the extra syllable in Wellesley. Uh, mayor Liggett. Mayor Verbanovic. Mayor McCabe. Chair Redman. You're all welcome to call during the 12 o'clock talk back, too. Maybe I said something you didn't like, and we can have a conversation about it. Happy to hear from Mayor Foxton. Sue Foxton, the mayor of North Dumfries, joining us on the 12 o'clock talk back segment. We're off to a great start. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. We have entered a brand new era here on the program. It's not just a brand new year. Our first show of 2024 brings with it the first edition of the 12 o'clock talkback. And guess what? There's going to be another edition of it tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that. Every single day on this show from noon until one, the consistency you deserve, you know that you can pick up the phone and have a conversation with me here on the show or get something off your chest. And I'll just remind you that a moment ago, the mayor of North Dumfries called in to wish us a happy new year, which is lovely. 
but it's also a good reminder to you that people like our mayors and our councillors and other elected officials and people who wield some influence in the community that can get stuff done are listening to the show. They like to know what's on your mind. They want to hear from you too, even if it is just through this program. So take advantage of that. Also, during that commercial break, you may have heard the commercial about the Rangers Talk podcast, which we love doing for you. By we, I mean Paul Fixter and I, because after every Rangers home game, we stay on the air late. We take your calls. We break down the game. We talk about the league. Paul shares some great stories about his time in hockey, etc. The Kitchener Rangers were ranked third in the Canadian Hockey League in the top 10 rankings that just came out this morning. The highest ranked team in the Ontario Hockey League is your Kitchener Rangers. Saginaw comes in at number five and the Sioux Greyhounds at number seven. But the Kitchener Rangers, third ranked in the entire Canadian Hockey League behind Bay Como and Prince George. Just thought I'd throw that in there for you. All right, let's go back to the phones on the 12 o'clock talkback. Andre, good afternoon. Hi, Mike. That's not Andre. <laughs> That's my friend Winter. I thought Winter was dead. Oh no, no, definitely not that Winter. The season can go suck it, but not not your not your son Winter. That's right. I'm sorry. I'm not supposed to say suck it either. I take that back. It's a slip of the tongue already. He's very proud to wear his mitten hat. Uh, so that that's a couple reasons. I'm going to try and stay in a straight line here, Mike. Um, first of all, Happy New Year to you and your family. Happy New Year to you and yours. To. Uh, the Kitchener Rangers uh, players and fans. Sorry, Carson Rakoff, but I put that spell for you to come back earlier because it's not about Canada, it's about Kitchener. <laughs> you know, it's um, funny you mention that, Andre, because both Canada and, I believe, Slovakia are now out of the tournament. They can't medal. So can we have Philip Mashar and Carson Rakoff back? Thank you. <laughs> That's why you're there. That's why I listen to you. Thank you. <laughs> you fill in the blank spot, <laughs> like Taylor Swift says. But uh, what does Taylor Swift say? What are you talking about? Listen, I'm gonna. You know what? I know this is gonna get me in some trouble, but I might make this a Taylor Swift free zone. Like honestly, I see so much of that ding dang woman on my football games now. I don't need her on this show too. Come Thank on. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I I, I agree a hundred percent. Well, then no, stop just, mentioning your name. Song called Blank Spot. How do you know that? <laughs> uh, anyway, <laughs> well, let's move on. <laughs> Yeah, you don't want to admit how you know Taylor Swift songs, eh? No, she's got two left feet and she can't sing. Sorry. I'm very sorry to say that. That's the bottom line. Wow. But she's a princess. All right. Wow, too. Right. But, so, now I'll get back to serious. New Year's Eve, uh, the day after, we went to Watertown Square. We skated. It was fantastic. The weather permitted it, like you said. Kitchener uh, uh, City Hall. Uh, we skated. It was Beautiful. Wait, so you skated at both places? Uh, one day before and one day after. Okay, cool. Yeah, we love skating. Uh, my son actually wants to play uh, hockey next year. Um, I guess he's inspired by the Kitchener Rangers. He's inspired by Daddy. He's inspired by our city, and he wants to get into it. Um, so I told him that, uh, well, if you get up there, you're going to better make money and buy us a house. <laughs> So we know Paul Fixer. Stop it. Don't ma- don't put the pressure like that on the kids, Andre. You're supposed to have fun. Just go out and have fun. Okay. Okay. So um, what I wanted to say, too, is um, I know Paul Fixer mentioned it many times, to shoot the puck 
at the net, and that's what happened today, I think, when they scored 3-2. They shot it, and a fluke one happened, like you said, and it went in. Yeah, and Czechia shot it, though. Canada lost. Yeah. Yeah. But, but remember last year how Czech, they were strong and they lost, right? So this year, I think they remembered Canada, and I don't know, they just, they, they, were, they were good. They were good. That's all I could say. But we got our players back. Uh, Mike, I have to say also, I don't know if it's our council or if it's our mayor, but Kitchener uh, City Hall, when we went skating, uh, my wife uh, said that the bathroom had free, um, how you say that, woman hygiene, like pads, yes. stuff like that, for free. Yes. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? Like, aren't we a wonderful city? Like, that's we are. But I'll tell you what, Cambridge isn't because I remember that discussion at City Council in Cambridge with the late Donna Reed, and Council voted it down, which was the most ridiculous thing. I don't know if they've changed it since. I hope they have, but I'm not sure they have. Okay. Yeah. Well, I just want to say because I know I called in Friday, and we all had threats rolled, and same as Paul Fix's family, and I, I wish his family would be back, but um, we are back too, um, and. Um, yeah, I heard from you Saturday, Sunday, um, that uh, Kitchener Rangers, no matter what the players are gone, um, I guess th- they did good. Um, I'm very proud of them. And uh, I don't know if uh, Pugliese, if he stepped it up, and all those other players like Lamb and all that, so you can tell me more after. But, yeah, I just want to say Happy New Year to everybody, and uh, I'm very excited for your show, and hopefully I can talk less and stretch in five days, Mike. All right, Andre. I appreciate the call. If that's if that's a straight line for Andre, I don't even like it. Finished full circle, didn't it? He started with Happy New Year. He ended with Happy New Year. And whatever the hell happened in the four minutes and twenty four seconds between is your guess is as good as mine. Honest to goodness. Hey, upper management, be careful what you wish for. But we love our Andre, and he's always here with us on the twelve o'clock talk back. It continues right after this update from the City News Center. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. handful of new segments that you're going to be hearing on the show now that we have entered a brand new year. It seemed as good a time as any to introduce some new elements to you. You'll hear some new sounds on the show as we move through 2024, and you'll get a pretty healthy dose, I think, of different segments so that we can keep things fresh and keep you informed and entertained along the way. This segment is called the 12 o'clock talk back and it's going to happen every ding dang day from noon until one so that you know every day how you can get in touch with me here on the show 519-570-2545 star 570 and 1-800-570-5715 back to the phones we go grant where would i be without you I love that laugh. That laugh might be one of my favorite things on this show. Okay. 
Now, I'm going to clarify something with you because you, you jumped to conclusions when I, brought, when, I brought, when I brought this up several weeks ago. Okay. I, I did it not for myself. I did it so that the other callers could take part in, in this other radio show. And I, I tried to get it on. I tried to get, get it online. I, I was not able to, so they changed the time. For for this other show, Rob Snow talk back from two to three, and yeah, that's that's great that they listened to uh, the the callers, right? That's what we do here, Grant. We listen to you, but sometimes you don't. You sometimes you jump in and you go from this end to that end. That's true. You know why I do that, Grant? Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. It's fine? Oh, good. You know why I do it, though? Because it's my show. I get to do whatever I want. I'm sorry I jumped to conclusions, though. And also because you have other callers out there. I do. I have lots. That will bring up some silly, like, during the COVID situation, you had this person, I don't know the guy's name, but he would bring up these really no-nonsense theory of... Yeah, I can't remember this guy's name. Well, can we just not even go back to that time? Because I'm I'm so happy it's over, Grant. I really am. I'm so happy I don't have to talk about COVID every day. Yeah, all right. Yeah, okay, and... so what else you got on your mind? I'm glad that uh, I was going to complain about them not playing Carson, but he played... Uh, the last game he played, not today, I didn't see the, today's game, but the, two days ago, he, he played a real good game, and uh, Carson should be happy f- with himself, and that, I, I like that, I imagine this other player gets teased, Geek, his last name is Geek. His name is Geeky. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, I had to call a player's name called Pillipuke yesterday, which made me feel nauseous every time I said it, but that was his name, Pillipuke. And then there's this other fellow that, Scored that amazing goal two days ago for us. Uh, the last goal, it it just uh, snuck in. I can't remember. I think it's centipede, not centipede, but I can't remember the guy's name. Celebrini. Celebrini. Okay, Grant. Thank you. You know what we're gonna do sometime. Just for poops and giggles, we're going to put Grant and Andre on the phone at the same time and have that, like, we're just going to eavesdrop on their conversation because, oh my, will it go places we could never possibly predict. I just love it, though, because they are so invested in what it is they have seen and heard. They want to share all of it. And good luck to us trying to figure out what they saw and what they heard. Anyway, I'm glad that... Now you know with Rob Snow has heard your complaints about their talkback segment and you're getting the content you want. I told you, just give Rob some time. Things are coming together. So that's great. Just like on this show now, stick with us as we move through some real minor tweaks and have some fun on the show through this whole year ahead. And it's terrific. So I'm glad you're getting what you want. And I think that Team Canada would have won today if they played Carson Rakoff more. I'll just say that just to stir the pot. He was out there on the power play. I don't think he got enough ice time, but what do I know? I'm not the coach. 
Mark, over to you. Talk back at 12. Happy New Year, Mike. Happy New Year, buddy. Mike, I missed the uh, beginning of your show this morning. Oh, you see what happens if you miss the beginning, you miss pretty much everything. Well, I've got a question for you about that. Yes, sir. Did I did I hear you change your theme song? You you heard I changed my theme song. That's correct, sir. What is it? Well, that's the beauty of it, Mark, isn't it? It's going to depend on what day it is. But I can tell you with certainty that Working Man by Rush is no longer going to be the noise, which I was told it was, that greets your ears when I start the show every day. Did they have to wrestle you down and put you in an arm bar? <laughs> it was pretty close. I'll tell you, that it was the last thing they brought up in that meeting a few weeks ago, and I almost fell off my chair. And I begged <laughs> and I pleaded, and then I relented. And I said, you know what? You've made a lot of other good points. I'm a team guy. We're going to mix up the theme song. So it's so gone, it buddy. Different, different song every day then, Mike? Different song every day, my friend. Okay, thanks, Mike. You're welcome, Mark. Thank you. Cheers, mate. And Happy New Year once again. Uh, we'll go next to Corey. Corey, good afternoon. Hi, Mike. How are you? Hey, I'm great. How are you? I'm doing well. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you as well. And I just wanted to call in and let everybody know that the city of Cambridge does provide a free menstrual product in all of their uh, washrooms and facilities. I had a feeling that might have changed since I watched that meeting and that vote some time ago. So I'm glad, Corey, thank you for calling in to clarify that indeed feminine hygiene products are now available in all City of Cambridge washrooms. Absolutely. And one other thing that we should note is we refer to them as menstrual products or hygiene products because they may not necessarily be by people identifying as female. So it's something that we are really working towards making sure they are available to anybody who needs them. Corey, I appreciate that. I'm going to cut the call there because the connection was not great. I could hear it pretty well in my headphones. So Corey Kimson is the Ward 3 counselor in Cambridge. I mentioned this earlier. Boy, we're big south of the 401 today, aren't we? The mayor of North Dumfries called in. Corey is the Ward 3 counselor in Cambridge. Uh, menstrual products or hygiene products available in City of Cambridge washroom facilities. And I just, I remember that discussion at Cambridge Council. And maybe I remember it so well because the late Donna Reed quoted me in my show (laughs) because I called it a no-brainer. It's like a $25,000 cost to put the products in the washrooms and it got shot down and I was astounded. So thank you to Corey Kimson for letting us know that, yes, Cambridge has caught up with the times, thank goodness, and that these are hygiene or menstrual products. That's how we describe them, so they are available to anyone who needs them in City of Cambridge washrooms and other city municipal washroom facilities around this region. Good stuff. I'm glad we can get that information out there. The 12 o'clock talkback is off to a great start. We're getting all kinds of good information today. Mike, over to you. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Michael. And to you, sir. Um, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. You okay over there? Are you flipping your Rolodex, counting your money? What's that noise? No, that's nothing, sir. Um, Got me excited there for a second. Deck of cards you're shuffling? What's going on? No, 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 sir. Uh, Basically, what I'd like to do is make some suggestions for the... uh, these new talkback segments and stuff like that. (laughs) Okay, Um, so it's day one... 
hour one, and you've got you're going to go into the suggestion box, eh? Yes, I am. <laughs> okay, I'm all ears, pal. Okay, what I would like to say is, I'd like to get some of the politicians, like the mayor, um, regional chairs, in on these talkback segments, so that we can act- actually ask them some questions um, going forward. Uh, sometimes, if you write a letter or something, they won't even bother answering your your concern. All right. But well, I Mike, think- can I tell you something? I'm gonna let yep. you. I'm gonna let you in on a little secret because this is something new that's coming up, and it's not yet ready. We're just kind of rolling out gradually. But every Monday morning, you can count on it. Our colleagues down east call it "counselor on the hot seat." I don't know if that's what we're gonna call it, but the idea is to have one of our elected representatives every single Monday morning on the show for that very reason. That sounds great, Mike. Uh, and the other the other suggestion I have is not only the counselors and the politicians and stuff like that, I think, um, you know, as you're having some of your guests um, coming into the area, too, if, you, if uh, listeners have questions of your guests, that would be another opportunity to uh, get some discussion going in in the uh, community. And that's that's what I have for you, sir. Those are my suggestions. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate that. Like I said, our first hour of 12 o'clock talk back, and Mike's already putting suggestions into the suggestion box. But this is the thing. And I mentioned that the segment is coming for two reasons. One, because Mike brought it up. So great suggestion. We already made it internally, and it's going to happen. And in so doing, I hope that you will grow accustomed to, oh, okay, every Monday morning at 10 o'clock, that's when I'm planning to do it, you're going to get the chance to hear from or have a question answered by a local counselor. And so hopefully you will take the time to email me, right, and say, this is the question I want answered by Corey Kimson or Sue Foxton, the two counselors slash mayors that have phoned us already on the 12 o'clock talk back today. So you'll get a chance to get that question sent in to me and you can have it answered. Or we'll just keep the lines open and you can ask the questions directly. The only problem with that is sometimes, let's be honest, right? You know this, you pontificate. We need to keep these things like bang, 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 because they're going to be a popular segment. The other reason I mention it now is for those counselors listening who either have called or who are just eavesdropping I hope you'll accept the offer of airtime to not only share some of your thoughts about what's going on locally, but to take questions from your constituents, because your constituents are listening to this show. So we're working on it. It's not there yet, but that's one of the segments that will be gradually worked into this show on a regular basis so that you, dear listener, know that it's coming, know when it's coming, and can have those questions answered. An excellent suggestion, Michael. I appreciate it. All right, back to the phones on the 12 o'clock talk back. Dave, good afternoon. Good afternoon, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, sir. And um, I, as usual, have two positive comments. Uh, The first one everyone will agree with. The second one you'll do your negative attitude comment on, but... (laughs) I really don't care because it's a positive comment. Well, oh, how do, okay, uh, you know what? I'll reserve judgment until I hear both of your positive comments, sir. Well, you've already commented a couple weeks ago on it, so I'm going to, that's why I know about it. But anyway, 
the first positive comment is the uh, women's first professional hockey game, which was held in Toronto. So that's a hats off about time, and I'm very happy for And Ella Shelton of Ingersoll scored the first goal in PWHL history. For the other team. Yes, for well, but that's okay. She's from Ingersoll. We'll keep her even if she's playing for New York. All right. All right. Now here's my second positive comment, which you will not hang up on me, but you'll disagree with me. You be careful, David. No, it's not that. Okay. You're known to disagree with me on it. All right. Congratulations to Seattle for their outdoor game yesterday. Seattle who? The Kraken? Yes. Oh, Okay, I know we're so yeah, you know me pretty well, Dave, and thank you for that because I think the outdoor game gimmick died about 19 years ago. I didn't even know there was an outdoor game yesterday. But that's why thousands of people show up. Yeah, I guess so. I have a great day. Thanks, Dave. You too. I really appreciate that. And in fairness, I was kind of busy going to Oshawa with the Kitchener Rangers, but yeah, I just think like another outdoor game, it was it was cool for like a minute. The minute's over. Like, let's move on. But that's just me. Dave likes him. And you know what? Dave can like him. I can dislike him. And we can still have a conversation. Oh, life is great. And so is this segment. It's the 12 o'clock talkback. Open minds to you every day from noon till 1 on the Mike Farwell Show. City News 570. Twelve fifty-one, nine minutes away from one. An update from the city news center, and then now you know with Rob Snow. But we are in the midst of our first daily twelve o'clock talkback hour, where we open the phone lines for a conversation with you. Right back to the phones we go. Joe, good afternoon, happy new year. Happy new year, Mike. I uh, yeah, I was driving back from. Uh from up at the lake, and ironically, I'm driving through the no-nuke zone as I'm listening to that segment on your show. There you go. Uh, I I know a lot of us have a special place in our heart for Bruce County. Well, yeah, so now now i got to sign up for the property tax uh, thing, and if you could provide me with a little information on how to do that, or I'll just email you, and maybe you can send me a link. But, uh, yeah, so then, then... Yeah, so I was thinking, okay, well, now my usual apoplectic approach is, or apathetic approach is, no, no, I'm not going to make a difference. Then I thought to myself, no, DF, if everybody thinks like that, there won't be enough people to sign up and make a difference on your property tax to be able to uh, leverage change. You know what I mean? I know what you mean. And the website is propertytaxpayer.ca. Oh, okay. I think I can remember that, even with my limited brain capacity, so I think I'm good. Uh, and then, yeah, so now i got to join up for this other no-nuke thing. I don't even know if I can get a ballot in my area up there, but, you know, whatever information you can provide on that, that would be, yeah. All right, Joe. Um, good to hear from you. Appreciate the call, and clearly, we've got some topics that resonate with you today, and I'm glad for that, because as I've said a number of times, even with the variations, the tweaks, the different sounds to parts of the show today, and 
gradually being introduced more through the year. At our heart, we will remain the same show, giving you the information and hopefully along the way the entertainment (laughs) that you want every day between 9 and 1. Something else, two things really, that have been on my mind over the holidays and coming into the new year, and and these are things that I am going to continue to pursue uh, with some vigor here on the show. And I was reminded of this conversation with regional counselor Rob Deutschman before Christmas because it replayed during the Christmas break as some of our uh, least worst shows, best of, least worst. And I got more messages about it. So clearly it struck a chord with you as well. And it, it speaks to what I strongly believe needs to be a streamlining of our local system of government. But here's a bit of the exchange between me and Councillor Rob Deutschman around affordable housing and how the region is responsible for it, even when the cities have good ideas. Here's the thing. So then Cambridge, let's say they did say yes to exploring this idea. I'd so, be like, I'd be head over heels. Exactly. But hang on now, Rob. Now you got to work with me here, okay? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So we're going to, let's just say they, they can do the report in three months. So by March of 2024, okay. Cambridge comes back and says, this is great. Right. Okay. Then that triggers what? Coming to mom and dad for permission at the region. No. Yes. No, no. no. See, it's so why coming. can't... It's not, not coming. No, no, Michael, you're looking at it all wrong. It's working collaboratively to take the next steps. We're, yeah, but we're partners. what are we doing in the partners. first three months? We're waiting for Cambridge, the city, to prepare a report. Then what we happens? To prepare a report. That's the way it goes. Look at it. I know I'm, that, I'm but then why can't the city just act? That's what I mean. Why can't they what? Why can't the, the city's going to prepare the report, yeah. and then the city should just be able to go and do it? I think they probably could. I mean, we have to examine that. I, I don't think... Yeah, we have to examine that because mom and dad need to give their blessing. <laughs> Michael, Robert, mom and dad. You're being... You're, no, you're I'm being, telling the truth you're and you're not, anyway. sir. You are no, not no, telling no. the truth. I, well, first of all, I don't know all the answers to everything. That's the truth. Yeah, because there's too much bureaucracy in the way, uh, Rob. No, no, no. Yes, no. yes, yes. No, look, at we administer affordable housing and we do a great job and we and it's a it's a, a humongous task that we're taking on. But if there's opportunities to expand housing in the region, we're partners in all of that. I get it. But why yeah. then? Why does the city have to do a report first and then get the region involved? You see the time that's lost the region, there? No, no, no. Hold on. The region, <laughs> the region, it's, it's easy enough to say, hey, region, let's work with the city as they're developing their report. They can all work together. This is not a problem. We've worked together on lots of things it's not an issue and that is true so that's a conversation i had with rob deutschman not long before christmas and i may have overstated the need for permission right because the region's been a great partner they really have it's not like they say no and put up roadblocks but there is there is an unnecessary step here there is an unnecessary layer of bureaucracy here in my opinion so one of the things that i will continue to focus on with some vigor this year is this redundant system that we have. We we have to streamline in this community for our own good. So you can call it amalgamation if you want or unification if you want. I don't care what you call it. We need to fix this, and I'm really passionate about it. One of the other things also at the regional level, and I pulled up the report this morning just so I had the numbers in front of me. Remember that the plan by 2028 is to have 175 speed cameras in this region, which is utterly preposterous. I think we have a chance to change the region's mind on this because it's a preposterous idea. 
This year, the plan is to add 28 more speed cameras than we currently already have. Let's stop them this year, okay? Let's not even get the 28 more. Forget the 175. Utter banana land. Let's stop the 28 this year, okay? Nip them in the bud right now with this goofy idea of all these speed cameras. Those two things very much on my radar as we enter a new year here on the show. Got to get you to the news center for an update. Got to get Rob Snow's waiting. He's he's ready with Now You Know. That's coming up. Devin Robertson is our guy on the other side of the glass. My name is Mike Farwell. Back to more Morning at 9. Bye for now.